Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Larry Zonka, and this is episode 93 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the 411mania.com website, any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to our show, share us around on social media, hit the thumbs up and subscribe on YouTube to take us to the pay window. We would greatly appreciate it. Joining me today, making his return, he's becoming a regular contributor. He's my good friend from BackBodyDrop.com, Ian Hamilton. Ian, how are you this afternoon, sir? I'm not too bad, Larry. All the better for actually having a decent episode of NXT UK this afternoon. And guess that's our theme for today. It is, Ian. And uh, th- that is specifically why you're on, obviously. You are kind of my uh, my guru and guide through the UK scene, all the stuff I don't know about. And, um, you know, you and I are two of approximately four people that regularly cover NXT uh, UK every week. And uh, actually put effort into following it. And, um... Obviously, we enjoy a lot of the talent there. We enjoy a lot of the matches. The takeover stuff has been really good. But overall, and we've we've kind of talked about it on these shows when we've been going off and uh, and like kind of segways and sideways type things about uh, just um, the NXT UK brand as a whole. The running joke of it's not actually a brand that exists, even though it does. And um, people have kind of wanted us to expand on that. So today we're kind of, I guess the basic conversation for us is NXT UK. And for lack of a better title, the birth, the lack of growth, and the overall issues with the brand. As well as kind of the impact on the UK indie wrestling scene. Which has, uh, despite Pete Dunne's uh, assertions, has been great. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess we can uh, start with... The idea with you know, NXT UK, you know, like folks who've just gotten into wrestling or the indie scene may think, oh, it's only just come up from uh, 2017, also from 2016 when they, they first start, start talking about the United Kingdom Championship. Um, actually, it's an idea that's been around since the mid noughties. Uh, if you've got you know, some of the old observers, these were ones just before Dave merged with uh, the Figure Four website. There's a mention in June 2007 Observer that mentioned talk of a WWE UK brand. Now, that didn't go anywhere. They were talking about working with a company called RQW. Uh, that was an indie based largely out in London, South England. Uh, real quality wrestling. Uh, at the time, they'd been running for maybe about a year. Um, bit of background on them. So before RQW, a lot of Brit res or the post-2000s Brit res was probably popularized by a company called the Frontier Wrestling Alliance. Uh, they were based out of Portsmouth. They'd started running shows pretty all across the country, but like a lot of quote-unquote fads, you know, had the boom and bust. Um, they had gone under. RQW had you know, tried to take their spot. But it wasn't until 2006 before they got any kind of traction. They started running in holiday camps. Late 2006, they had a rebirth and started running places like Your Call. Um, the first real exposure I had to them, or any kind of knowledge, was in uh, 2007. Um, so another company which was kind of big at the time was uh, 1PW, which there's literally been books written about the shit show that company turned out to be. Uh, but the big thing RQW did... Uh, was with uh, Great Muta. So 1PW had a show 
start of 2007 with Great Mute advertised. I bought tickets for it, um, but because 1PW was hemorrhaging money and you know, other stuff I'm not going to make accusations for, like say there's a book, uh, I think it's called All or Nothing by uh, On Furious Kayfabe, you'll be able to read for yourself. It's available for the usual spots. But they couldn't afford Great Mute. He'd already paid to fly over here, but they couldn't afford to pay him for his booking. Um, and to kind of say face on the UK scene, uh, RQW pretty much took the Muta booking. And I, from, what, from what I remember on maybe a week's notice, they announced, booked, and held a show at Your Call, which I think drew 350 fans, which by today's standards is laughable. But you know, that was the kind of thing that RQW was doing. They were kind of saving the skin of Britres. But yeah, they didn't really go anywhere. They taped stuff for TV. I don't think it aired anywhere mainstream, but you know, they were trying to keep things going. They you know, they stopped running uh, things about late 2007, late 2008. And yeah, for then the scene remained a little bit quiet. FWA, you know, closed, reopened, closed again. Uh, their last few shows, things in 2012, were in front of Comic Cons, which you know, kind of tells you the market they were really gunning for was ultra casual fans. Um, in the meantime, you had, like I say, 1PW had multiple rebirths, uh, enough promotion, uh, IPW UK, they were trundling along the background. But it wasn't really until uh, 2012 when we started getting buzz back in the UK scene with the opening of a company called Progress. Um, they started, the long running joke for them is, no, no, nobody thought that wrestling would work in London, and they started running at a venue called The Garage, which is in North London. Holds about 350 people, but first show in 2012 sold out. They started running quarterly, and through time, you know, you sell out shows regularly, you get buzz. And these weren't, you know, shows, you know, using, you know, older names. Like some of the names for had on these early cards, you're looking like. Will Ospreay, Zack Sabre Jr., Marty Skrull, Jimmy Havoc, in 2012, eight years ago. You know, so they had you know, future stars who were helping build the brand up. You know, there's a lot more names we'll talk about later on. Um, but they were quietly you know, building buzz themselves. And it's like anything, when you know, it's a horrible analogy, bear in mind we've had you know, bad flooding in parts of England this week, but you know, a rising tide raises all ships. So you had uh, Insane Championship Wrestling up in Scotland. Uh, they had a documentary made by the BBC on them, which got buzz up there. Up promotions like Vital Pro, Attack, Pro Wrestling Eve. They all, no, I wouldn't say grew massively at that point, but started get, slowly getting a bit more buzz. And new promotion, uh, Revolution Pro Wrestling, splintered out for IPW and started carving a name themselves. So because you'd have to say because of progress... You went from having pretty much a dead or a scene that was massively under the radar, apart from all the most hardcore fans, to a scene that was really starting to get, you know, lapsed fans, for one better word. And that's, um, that, that's really interesting when you think about it, too, because where we are now, you know, progress is obviously in bed with WWE. Um, they introduced a, a ton of these talents at the time that, as you said, they weren't relying on a bunch of older people. We're introducing, you know, like Noam Dar, Al Ligero, Zack Sabre Jr., Zach Gibson, Jimmy Havoc, and Osprey. You're, you're getting, like, all these new names out there. And then, as you said, 
you have these other promotions kind of branching out of that and um the, the scene is picking up real real quick to go back to like the kind of birth of the NXT UK thing you, you mentioned 2007 when the observer specifically started mentioning the UK i think if you actually go back to around 2005 though there was mention of the more global expansion by WWE to where they were hoping to create almost like a worldwide territory system and that's kind of where the UK thing fits in as well and that's a that's something Steve Cook and I were a big proponent of back in the day because you know they you know they eventually got rid of OVW they had shut down Deep South and then you just had Florida Championship Wrestling and my big thing was is you're never going to develop and I'm talking about signing people with not a lot of experience in terms of developing them with just one little warehouse in Florida and I was a big proponent of the kind of creating your own territory system, for lack of a better word, because the best part about when OVW and Deep South Wrestling were both running at the same time was occasionally they would swap talent. And that goes back to the comparison to the old school territory system was, yeah, that's great that you're doing good in Louisville and then you're starting to grow. And then if they ship you down to Georgia, can you still get over? And it's good to learn to work in front of different crowds, because, you know, at the time, you look back, you had a ton of inexperienced guys. You had Kofi Kingston down in developmental. You had Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins as the major brothers. You had, like, all kind of people down there. And it would have been really valuable for them to keep working more than just the one place. So it was always something I was interested in. And then, as you mentioned, there was kind of, like, the, the mention of the NXT UK thing back in 07. But then nothing really happened out of it for whatever reason. Yeah, again, you, know, you had the creation of all the new promotions. And when you got members back at that time, very few British or even European wrestlers were getting signed. I mean, you, know, you look at TNA, you had Mark Andrews, Grado, Spud, Nick Aldis, Doug Williams. You, know, you had the British Boot Camp spin-off, which you know, got a lot of exposure for guys like Shaw Samuels, uh, the late Chris Travis, to name just two. WWE, same kind of thing. Seamus, uh, Drew McIntyre, when NXT became a thing, had Adrian Neville and Oliver Gray. You know, pretty much that was pretty much restricted to that. And it was the kind of thing that, yeah, you had all these guys who were slowly getting buzz in the UK. They weren't going anywhere. You no, know, WWE weren't signing. No, they were signing. You no, know, maybe one name every few years. And especially with WWE, you know, you had you no know, Sheamus, Drew McIntyre, um, Wade Barrett. I think the three big ones they had for this new millennium. And you think, you know, you will go back to the eighties, the nineties. British Bulldog, Dynamite Kid, you know, William Regal. If you want to put that asterisk on, you know, the UK is hot, as hot and as big as it was as a market for them in terms of fans and audience. In terms of actually getting talent, that was a huge weakness, but. Yeah, that was kind of a sidebar, I guess, in terms of, you know, the talents being there. You know, TNA historically made more use of it in the, I'd say, the late uh, noughties, early early tens. But, um, yeah, but going back to the, you know, the progress and all the other promotions, and I guess this isn't just wrestling, but anything. What happens when there's some kind of scene that starts getting a lot of buzz? Mainstream wants it. And what that meant was British wrestling started being courted by British television. Now, 
I think it was in 1983, uh, Rose was off TV when ITV kicked out of World of Sport. There wasn't much British wrestling on TV. Um, Bravo, the old TV channel, broadcast the King of Europe tournament in 2002. Uh, that was some co-promoted thing with uh, the TalkSport radio station. Uh, that was a tournament featured the likes of uh, Brian Christopher and Eddie Guerrero and a lot of big names in Rose at that time. But... You know, since you know, it was a one-off, didn't lead to anything until 2016. World Sport Wrestling, or WOS Wrestling, they called it. ITV started making noises. They taped a pilot for it. And it kind of sat there for a little bit. And I'm just looking now at the lineup of that, um, that particular pilot. So this was November 2016. And some of the names you got on the... I'm not picking these names out at random. I'm just saying these names that you know, stand out. Dave Mastiff, Kenny Williams, Viper, The Coffee Brothers, uh, Rampage Brown, El Aguero, Zach Gibson, Grado, um, Shah Samuels. It's like those are names which were pretty big on the UK indies of that time. I wouldn't say, you know, maybe not the top, top stars, you know, Certainly no Zack Sabre Jr.'s there, no Will Ospreay's there, definitely no Jimmy Havoc's on a ITV team ti- tea time slot, but you know they were among the biggest names you had there. Problem was, we piloted on New Year's Eve 2016, and it got fine ratings, but you know, the kind of ratings that would make you think twice about, you know, do you want to give it a full series or not? You know, It was that really awkward middle ground, and obviously airing on New Year's Eve, um, from what I remember today, it's like late afternoon, so just before people are starting to get ready for New Year's celebrations. Not the best spot, but, no, it it, it aired, and it got fairly decent reviews. Um, Gesundheit. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, but what was interesting was that World Sport pilot aired New Year's Eve. Um, about two weeks before that aired, WWE announced they were creating the UK Championship Tournament um, of United Kingdom Championship. That was a two-day tournament in Blackpool in January 27, or January 2017, beg your pardon. And they had that big parade, I think it was at the O2 in London with a load of guys they'd signed. Um, I mean, if you look at those two shows, you know, you had you know, Dan Maloney who you know, went in the system and left. But just picking out names who are still with the blue today. Uh, Jack Stars, the perennial enhancement guy. James Drake, Jordan Devlin. Your best friend, Joseph Connors. Mark Andrews. Uh, Pete Dunn. Uh, Sam Gradwell, who I think is still on the injured list, but still under contract, so stick with that. Saxon Huxley, Trent Seven, Tyler Bate, Tyson T-Bone, Wolfgang. So that cl- uh, cluster of names just for championship tournament shows... There's a very solid bunch of names, and a few, you know, haven't mentioned who were completely out of left field. Uh, Chris Tyler, H.C. Dyer, who I think is not even in business anymore. Um, Tucker, who's another one in and gone early days of NXT UK. It's like they signed a lot of these guys to contracts competing with World Sport Wrestling, and at the time, the buzz was, well, yeah, this is something we've been planning for years. It's just a coincidence that this happened. Two weeks before ITV's product... Yeah, uh, just a coincidence. And it was one line that a lot of people you know, cling on to during all the press stuff and this. So, obviously, the announcement of this had quite a few promotions 
kind of worries. Um, and there's a tweet from uh, the former What Culture Pro Wrestling uh, they put out when they were because back then they were not really in bed with the What Culture website as you'd expect. And there's one line that came out which was very much a, t- a tell-all that a lot of people hang their hat on here. William Regal telling them there's no restrictions with our talent. So the, the impression they gave was any restrictions from wrestlers being used by promotions would come from that promotion, not WWE, which, as we'll see, absolutely wasn't the case. Yeah, it, it absolutely wasn't. And this is, um, you know, we've mentioned this before when we've talked about this, Brandy, and, and there are still people that haven't learned from history, they haven't learned from Vince taking over the territories in the 80s. Um, this is when the whole thing, WWE saw the world of sport thing happening, and, hey, they're going to get on TV, so we need to kill this. Because we can't have anybody taking over this. We thought about this years ago. We need to kill it and take it over. So not only do you have the birth of NXT UK out of it, even though it didn't directly start out of it, we got the tournament, and then we had to wait a while until we had like another little tournament. But you had this happen, and also during this time, we had the amazing clusterfuck known as Five Star Wrestling. <laughs> oh, the early days of Five Star Wrestling. Um, so yeah, so this was a company that was made kind of promote a video game. Um, I've played it very briefly. I wish I hadn't. It was one of those. Ga- it's one of those games which tries. It's a wrestling game, but tries to live off of the, I guess, the Mad Magazine spoofs kind of thing. You know copyright trolling what have you um they did a few house shows to build a video game but then january 2017 they actually had a tv show uh aired on spike tv in the uk and for whatever reason even though the promotion was called five star they decided to rebrand the tv show dominant wrestling which yeah that's something if you want to google that you may get some not safe for work results but yeah, it was, this particular show it was a live house show from Dundee, which was a one-night tournament. I mean, by God, in 2017, we lo- fucking loved tournaments in wrestling. God damn it, um, we did. And I've just pulled up a card for that on uh, Cage Match. And some of the names you got in there. Um, Zach Gibson worked a dark match against Jay Lethal. Um, I'm looking down the tournament... You had John Morrison, Moose, Rey Mysterio, Nick Aldis, Carlito, PJ Black, Drew Galloway, Chris Masters. It's like, really, in the televised portion of the show, the only British guys were Drew Galloway, now Drew McIntyre, and Nick Aldis. So this was clearly a product aimed not at the people who buy, no, rushing to buy tickets for Progress every month or people going to ICW in Scotland. This was a much more casual market. Um... And yes, if this was you no, know, it was a one-night, eight-man tournament, but uh, John Morrison defended the five-star wrestling belt throughout because hey, why not? The end of the show was probably the most memorable part. Um, so, like I say, it was a live broadcast, and uh, Joe Moore was advertising a 128-man tournament as the company was going to do a big arena tour of the UK. Except the announcement was cut short because they ran their time slot over. 
and to make it worse, the tournament itself didn't happen. Um, pretty much all the dates were either cancelled or rescheduled. There was one pretty nasty one where the uh, Manchester Arena bombing uh, took place and Five Star tried to pin that as a reason for tickets not selling, which, you know, if, if the British scene was getting any kind of visibility, that was you know, probably would have ranked higher in the Observer's, you know, Worst Martial Tactic for the year award. But, um, yeah, so Five Star Wrestling had a, you know, a brief uh, moment of glory in 2017 and died away. And coincidentally, with Five Star Wrestling not doing anything and World of Sports kind of in mothballs again, WWE UK also didn't do anything. The guys had a few matches on NXT. Uh, Pete Dunne had a you know, absolute cracker on TakeOver Chicago. But apart from that, it was random stuff on house shows and TV tapings and saving us from Enzo Amore, if you remember that. Oh, Christ, I hated that episode. <laughs> that was, yeah. It's the first sighting out of uh, Joe Connors. Try to forget that time, but okay. <laughs> but, yeah, they did do one TV taping. It was a two-night thing from Norwich, which was just flat-out weird. I mean, they didn't have the thing in Hall. They, from what I remember, they cut matches and put them on YouTube. They did a one-hour special on the network, but I can only remember because they had Jim Ross and Nigel McGuinness on a green screen pretending to be standing on the entrance stage. Except they were standing flat and the ramp was so uh, low-angled, it was just made it look even more fake than it would have done. So yeah, that note showed, you know, it got buzz from the people who were following, but it did nothing longer term. And so, you know, uh, Brit Ray's, at least in the wider scene outside of the progresses and my pros, went back to mothballs for the rest of 2017. 2018, though, Pretty different story. Uh, Five Star was back with a live weekly show on a channel called Free Sports. That's a, uh, a not quite network, but one of these you know, over the air, you know, free, you know, free to view channels. You didn't need a subscription to get it. Um, but their idea was weekly three hour shows in arenas across the UK. UK Raw, pretty much. And it and, should be noted that they were booking arenas that they had no chance to fill. Absolutely not. No, I mean, the, I'll, do, I'll pull up our friend's cage match again. Um, the fact that you can, you know, all their events, they, like, five-star, we given a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of time to. They only held ten shows in total as a promotion. But they were kind of a, you know, a nagging little thing that sparked things off. But their uh, TV uh, run started February 2018. The Echo Arena in Liverpool, and I'm looking... Of course, there's no uh, tense figures, but lot of arenas looked absolutely awful. I think the only one they filled was a show in Plymouth, which was a smaller building anyway. Um, but yeah, it was three-hour shows. I think these on Wednesday or Thursday nights. So you're talking, asking people to go to midweek shows in big arenas with a lot of names that, no, let's be honest, probably weren't big stars. I mean, that first show in Liverpool, they had a bit high not a bit high name value, you know, John Morrison, Rob Van Dam, uh, Jake Hager, probably the names you would know on there, Moose. I mean apart from that, again I'm not picking names to pick on people, but Mark Haskins, Flash Morgan Webster, Rampage Brown, um Zach Gibson, you no know, El Aguero, like names who are fairly big but 
problem was because of the way they handled the 2017 tour, Five Star Wrestling was a joke, and you know, people did not give this any kind of credibility at all. Um, the last show, in fact, I mean, they list, literally their run was February 1st, 2018 to March 1st, 2018. That last show was in Belfast, a show that was uh, affected by a snowstorm that changed a lot of the card, and the actual broadcast portion of the show only had three matches, which is always great for a two-hour show. Um, there was more stuff that aired on the pre-show on Facebook than on TV. Um, and your last match was Zach Gibson losing to Eddie Ryan in a tournament for belt in a not tournament, a map for for a title that Zach had created, the real wrestling title, because at that point Jake Hager had won the main five-star belt. He wasn't going to be on every show. They wanted someone who would be. But rather than putting the big belt on someone who was going to be around, they just made a secondary one. But yeah, Five Star died a death. They'd spent all the money and then some. And yeah, Five Star lived on in pretty much my memory and about two, three others. I mean, yeah, and the thing about Five Star is it's just like you look back on it. I mean, pretty much from day one, they had bad management. Um, you look at the crowds, they didn't promote well at all. They they decided that they were to run these arenas that they had no viable way of filling, and then like at various times they were spending money on too much money on fly-ins for guys that really still couldn't go all that well even a couple years ago like RVD and stuff and Jake Hager was fucking atrocious just coming off his WWE release wearing his basketball shorts and looking like he he couldn't give a single solitary fuck if it uh, meant saving his wife's life. So it's just, it, this promotion was bad. Were they also the promotion, were they the ones where the dude was trying to, quote-unquote, offer CM Punk a million dollars to come in and work the tournament? Same guy. Okay, I thought so. So, yeah, just, you mix all of this stuff in, and, yeah, a disaster. I would love to know the figures on how much money they lost. Well, luckily, I'm trying to find this up now, I'll come back to this, but, um, yeah, it was one of those um, comments which you know, had a lot more hot air than any output, really. Um, I was just trying to find this, this uh, company, this one called Company's House, which lists all this stuff. Um, let me see if we can find it. Uh, but, well, we can come back to that. But anyway, um, so Five Star shut down. Uh, the other thing which rose up in terms of mainstream TV at the time was VWS Wrestling. They were back and they taped stuff in May 2018 looking to get back on TV. They, they actually got a series, which you know, took them you know, long enough after that 27, uh, 2016 pilot. Uh, they taped in May 2018. The show aired, I think it was July 2018, so it brings a 12-week run. Um, and all that noise about British wrestling on TV actually was picked up by somewhere because WWE finally uh, put NXT UK, uh, finally did some of their toy box in the UK and announced a second UK championship tournament for June 2018 at the Royal Albert Hall in London. Uh, much like Blackpool, it was a two-night affair, but it was on it was a Tuesday and Wednesday. I was at both those shows. And show one was a one-night tournament to crown a new contender for Pete Dunne's title, which won by Zach Gibson. Night two was pretty much a glorified NXT house show. You know, you had, you know, if you're undisputed, they were there. You had uh, Mustache Mountain, they won the, tag title, the proper NXT tag titles on that show. 
And yeah, it was one of those where the big story coming out of that wasn't Zach Gibson winning the tournament but coming up short. They announced the creation of NXT UK, the brand we know and somewhat love now. Uh, they announced tapings for the next month in Cambridge, but nothing about where it was being broadcast. Uh, for weeks, even after the show was taped, they were talking about, would Sky pick it up? Would ITV pick it up? In the end, it was only going to be a network product launched uh, October 2018. And wouldn't you know it, Slurry? Something else was going to debut around about the same time. It's amazing how that happens because, it, you know, people, uh, nope, it's just a big coincidence all the time. And it always cracks me up when people say that. First of all, not only did NXT UK tape TV and end up on the network, but if we remember the early days, they doubled up for, what, three months showing two hours every week because they had taped so much and never aired it. Yeah, so they taped, I'm just going by my rough uh, arithmetic here, so they taped in Cambridge, I want to say they taped Plymouth as well, but there's basically a free set of TV tapings already in the can um, when they launched, and yeah, uh, NXT UK debuted on the WWE Network, uh, I want to say it was on a it was the Thursday, no, it was Wednesday night because they moved back when NXT and AEW restarted. Two nights later, uh, Ref Pro had their own TV deal, which went on free sports. And you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but that Ref Pro show was doomed before it got started. Um, that was a Ref Pro's TV thing. It was a. I think it was like filmed by Free Sports, so they own all the footage. But they pull out all the stops in terms of talent. Like they had, I think the first match was Jushin Funder Liger against Chris Brooks, from what I recall. Like that was the first Ref Pro match on TV. They had Rapunky 3K. They had uh, Rocky Romero as well. So it's like, you no, know, this wasn't just Ref Pro. This was the, you know, the glossy Ref Pro that people think of when they see the results from your call shows. And yeah. Just a huge coincidence that RevPro's TV had announced launch date and then they were undercut by NXT UK two days before. But as I say, you know, the RevPro show was kind of doomed from the off. Uh, one, it wasn't advertised. Two, the name was far too close to WOS Wrestling and it was intentional according to uh, RevPro promoter Andy Quilden. The key thing, though, was that the guys at Free Sports wanted to have a stake in RevPro itself and potentially want to take it over if this whole wrestling thing worked out. It didn't. So they put zero effort into the show, and I think by the end of its run, they were doing the thing of changing time slots, you know, airing it without advertising it. And I think I reviewed most of those weeks, but I think to this day, there's one week I wasn't able to review because it was aired at a time that wasn't advertised. So yes, yeah, so that was the latest uh, TV product that came and went. Um, you know, World of Sport Wrestling, you know, that's kind of well-known British scene where they had the Saturday afternoons. Bad was 2 was moved around. You know, the TV program was fine, but was edited so much that it would be Kevin Dunn's wet dream. So many rapid cuts. They did a ladder match where they couldn't show ladders being used as weapons, which clearly something went awry there. Um, yeah, so 
NXT UK no, debuted October 17th, 2018, I should say. And, yeah, since then, it's kind of been a bit of a steamroll in the UK scene. Not to the point where it's killed companies. I know there's been a lot of people who have attributed NXT UK to companies closing. But just in terms of the effects it's had, in terms of talent available and, you know, hurdles of the promotions had to work around. I know we mentioned before the whole no restrictions line. Well, that kind of got a pretty big asterisk on uh, with RevPro and Defiant having all of their contracted guys yanked from them. Uh, I think they were yanked before the first TV take was even happened. So it wasn't a case of, hey, we're running on TV. We need your guys. This was a decision they'd made before that first TV show was even recorded. Exactly, and this this hit Rev Pro hard. This hit Defiant hard because you're losing like Jenny Jordan Devlin, Flash Warren Webster, Travis Banks, and people like that who were in established angles and everything. So they have to say goodbye. And as you said, you know the whole no restrictions slowly started to become some restrictions, then started to becoming very restricted. Fuck off, can't have them. And it happened, like you said, it happened quickly. And, like, the good news for RevPro is RevPro had a much better roster than Defiant did. Um, they also had the New Japan relationship, which was also part of the reason the WWE talent were pulled for them. Um, this hurt Defiant more than anything, the former What a Culture stuff. And, um, yeah, it's um, that was some of the first real big impact that I know people started noticing. And that's when you started uh, getting into the, oh, NXT UK is going to kill the scene. And, um, you know, I think a lot of the reason um, the restrictions started happening is you heard Triple H, he would go on these little rants about, we can't have guys working shows with no medical atom and stuff like that. And um, I think the big red flag was when Travis Banks got hurt, I think just a couple days uh, ahead of the NXT UK taping. And that led to a change in plans for NXT UK. And that pissed off Papa Paul, and then the hammer started going down quite literally from uh, Paul. Yeah, so from what I can recall, the Travis Banks injury was at a Fight Club Pro show literally days before those Cambridge tapings. And if you remember the early days of NXT UK, if you were watching the back-to-back episodes, they had to write Travis out with a shoulder injury. And if I'm being, no, if I'm being honest, that's really hurt his whole career in NXT UK, you'd have to say. Like, you've got to remember, when that show was originally taped, he was just coming off of losing the Progress title, but still had a fair amount of buzz. And, you know, he was a guy everyone expects to hit the ground running, and here we are now. You know, he, you know, all due respect to him, where's the focus on him? Barely on takeovers. Okay, he was on Worlds Collide, but in terms of actual spotlight, it's very much a case of what could have been for him. I agree, and it's uh, he's never really recovered, and he's he, he's a guy that's had good performances and everything, but it's just um, he's never had a chance to get momentum going, and I think that, um, as you said, you go back to that point, I think that they had good plans for him, and then the injury happened, and they moved on to other people, and it's it's wild how that happens. You just, one, one little thing can ruin a lot of stuff. And spe- no, especially, like, Top out New Japan, how meticulously they lay things out. Um, you know, 
this this isn't something that's not at least in terms of the TV isn't something that looks like it's been planned weeks in advance. So the fact that you know one injury means that he's you know gone from out of guest main event star to you know to barely being on the shows, have barely been focused on. It says a lot, but. Yeah, um, say so NXT UK started, and then that's where the things started getting a bit shady. Um, you know, at this point, you know, a lot of the indie promotions still keeping going. You know, Rev Pro, I think, you know, they're starting to ramp up their, their show schedules, and like they say now, 2020, they run so many shows, I'm having a hard time keeping up, let alone, you know, people actually work for them. Um, you look at, you know, the taping schedules. I think one of the early NXT UK shows clashed with the Progress show to the point where um, I think actually the show that Travis Banks uh, lost the belt on uh, had to move to midweek just to accommodate it. Um, when they announced takeovers, they would seem to come from out of nowhere. You know, we had the takeover card that were announced for the same day as New Japan's show in London last year. Um, we've literally just had a takeover announced for Dublin Ireland. Which is the same, which was the same day as the Progress show, you know, coming the day after OTT in Ireland, in the, in the same freaking town, running a show now. Okay, two complete different audiences, but still, you know, total mind, coincidence. Yeah, well, there has been talk the arena they're running in Dublin, the Free Arena, um, that's apparently in a notorious building to get dates from, or notoriously difficult. To they're building to get dates and so that one yeah can kind of let slide it's unfortunate but the fact that they're supposedly friendly with progress with OTT with WXW the fact that you know progress have had to move date move their own long scheduled dates because hey guys we're running a takeover now um WXW uh, before we start recording we had a chat um two weeks time I'm going to be over in Germany for their 16 carat gold tournament that's slap bang in the middle of NXT UK tapings um, the the last weekend that WXW had the World Tag Team Festival that clashed with NXT UK tapings, and it's like you know we've seen with Rev Pro how they've I don't want to say they've signed away talent to frustrate them, but I mean Christ they've signed referees away from them, like you, uh, Chris Roberts was signed he's not exactly a feature referee for Rev Pro for WWE UK. He was signed, not allowed to work for Ref Pro anymore, but he's able to do progress. He's able to do pretty much everyone but Ref Pro. So and to me, it's like, well, you know, I don't want to say they're signing people just to piss off and frustrate and try and shut down Ref Pro. I know others certainly have made that accusation, but to me, when you look at the signings and the stuff they've done for supposedly, you know, their partner or friendly promotions, is it any surprise for you no? Know, getting slightly dirty towards Rev Pro. But again, you know, running, you know, clashing weekends, that's a one off, you know, if push came to shove, those other promotions could move dates. Progress certainly have. The big sticking point that fans have had has been um the signing of talent. Now, if you go on the uh performance center website, they've got a section for NXT UK. It's not fully in date. I mean they've got fifty names there, but includes Pete Dunn's and Uri Ripley's who are not part of NXT UK anymore. But it was a couple of weeks back they announced a new batch of signings. Um, Danny Luna, Levi Muir. They've barely had a year on the indie scene. You know, like Levi Muir, I think we were saying before, 
does another cage match page. His highest profile match, at least if you go by what people term high profile indies, was a dark match for a progress show. Yet he's been signed, he's under contract. And it's like, well, if you know, what is NXT UK? And that to me has been the big kind of identity crisis that they've had. Is NXT UK developmental? Because, okay, same as the week where Zach Gibson and James Drake seem to have moved up to NXT proper, but there doesn't seem to be that much development from the bottom to the top to the next level. You know, Gibson, or Zach Gibson, especially when he was signed, a lot of people were tagging him for main NXT anyway. Pete Dunne, you know, even if NXT UK hadn't existed, would have made it anyway. Rhea Ripley, she was an NXT, you know, Largo Loop project who you know, they use NXT UK to season with. So, in a sense, it's been used as developmental when they want it to be. But how many names have you seen who signed from the European scene? And it's actually, you know, come from Bob and made anywhere up. Like, you know, the, the big name everyone was, uh, you know, pointing out, Killer Kelly. She was signed, debuted on the Royal Albert Hall shows. And when it comes to televised stuff, didn't win a single match. She was lucky and, to get three minutes half the time, too, dude. That's the worst part. I mean, it wasn't even like they were booking her competitively to where later on you could maybe tell a rehab story with her. I mean, she was just straight up doing, like, sub-three-minute jobs most of the time, too. And that was just... That was extremely frustrating. So I think Kelly's rather talented. And this you have somebody that seemed to have something there, and then it's just... Like you said, you just job her the fuck out and... It, it it's so weird, like you said, because it doesn't feel like they know exactly what they want this brand to be. They want it to be developmental. They want it to be their main UK brand. They also want to kind of, I guess the term you've used before is frustrate the scene. Um, you know, obviously restricting the talents, taking other talents that are possibly getting some buzzing on the way up. And then you go back to what we were talking about, about how, they're even almost playing dirty with their friendly friends, their promotional friends, and like scheduling stuff during the same time. And then, the, you know, you pull talent, and, you know, like Tyler Bate is allegedly injured and he's going to miss a show coming up here. And then you, co- you constantly hear about mysterious injuries or mysterious uh, talent pullings co- constantly coming up on a lot of these uh, European shows. And it's just like they come out of nowhere, and it's like, here's the thing. If you don't want NXT talent number 13 working a show, don't okay them to work the show and then pull them, like, a week ahead of time. Like, I believe you said uh, Pretty Deadly just got pulled from a show, correct? Uh, So it was actually last weekend, so Pretty Deadly, they were meant to have worked OTT's show uh, near Dublin, Ireland. They were meant to have worked a a final show for a company called Pro Wrestling Clash in Bournemouth, show I was at. Uh, They were pulled fairly late on, but... They were booked after they'd signed to NXT UK, from what I understand. So it wasn't a case of they signed, they had these pre-existing bookings, and they were told, no, cancel them. Now, normally when you see guys getting pulled, it's a case of, oh, they've got an injury, you know, we want to take precautions. Like, um, progress this Sunday, Travis Banks has pulled out with injury, and you now have a random six-man tag with Walter and the anti-fund police against uh, Morven Hype from Ireland, which... On paper, shoots can be a great match, but as a on paper, when you scan that card, that kind of sticks out a bit. Um, I mean, going back to Tyler Bates, uh, 
was announced tonight by OTT. He was booked for a show in Belfast, Northern Ireland this weekend. He's been pulled, and there's a lot of fans in Ireland up in arms about it, rightly so. Apparently, this is like the fifth time he's been pulled off of an OTT show. Big issue here, he's won half of their tag team champions. They won those belts, with him and Trent Seven won those belts last July, I believe. And those belts may as well not exist. And you know, OTT did build to a match, I think it was back end of last year, where you know, they were going to lose the belts when Tyler got injured, was got pulled. And I'm not going to make any accusations, but there are some people I've noticed since they went, quote, full-time and you know, were paid to work out for the performance centre, have wrestled a lot fewer matches than they used to and are getting hurt a lot more. I do seem to recall when the uh, PC opened in Florida, you had this rush of guys who were getting hurt because of the, was it the Olympic lifting or something like that, which, you know, I don't know if it's for training methods. I don't know what it is, but if you take this at face value, Tyler Bates' shoes get ninja a lot around OTT Showtime. Uh, it's, I don't know. It's like you hate to go total conspiracy theorist on it, but, you know, once is, once is once, twice may be a coincidence. Once you start getting past that, it... It really feels like, you know, for lack of a better word, how can we frustrate these people and fuck them over at the same time? And again, these are promotions they're friendly with. I mean... Which is the scary uh, part. Yeah. I mean, uh, Andy Quilden, Ref Pro Booker and owner, he has his own podcast and NXT UK's come a lot. And you were talking about the one of the last shows Travis Banks was on. Uh, they had plans for him to... So this was one of their monthly cockpit shows they have. It's a theatre in London which holds 150, 200 people, depending on who's counting that day. And they were planning a storyline with Travis Banks against a guy called Rob Lias, who is uh, one of RevPro's uh, trainees who's graduated and is now you know, working somewhat regularly. And the storyline they had was for Travis Banks to uh, lose to him in very short order with an injury and then build up to the obvious... No, I beat him in three minutes, and then when Travis in uh, fully healed, he blitzes through him. Problem was, at the time, Travis Banks was Progress World Champion, losing to a RevPro trainee, not for all intents and purposes, in less than three minutes. That didn't go down well with the guy's progress, at least in Andy Quilden's uh, version of events. And to be fair, you know, I know, you know certain promoters in the UK have said that Interpromotional politics doesn't tend to exist. Well, again, I, I'm not saying that's the thing that triggered the whole right F, ref pro F these guys, but it's certainly very interesting that that call to pull them from ref pro was made around about the same time that happened. But actually, while we were talking before, um, just to go all the way back to uh, five star wrestling, I've actually found something on uh, Company's House, so it's like a statement of anything to do with the company. So they were wound up June 2018, and there's a list of people they owe money to. Um, total debt uh, creditors got listed here. £176,000, which, to translate for, into, you know, into Yankee box, you're looking at, let me see... 
uh, $1.76 pounds to US dollars, you're looking at around about $226,000 in in people they owed money to. And these were things like um, a pound for promoter was owed £10,000, which, go figure, uh, newspapers rolled from hundreds to thousands of pounds. A uh, few names would stick out here, though. Um, the Arena in Plymouth, they ran their penultimate show on, owed about £700. Um, Valerie, uh, SoCal Val, she's listed on here for about £650. Uh, Greg Lambert, who at least publicly was a commentator, owed just short of uh, £1,000. Uh, there's one name here out of Chula Vista, California. Uh, Ray Mysterio owed over £56,000. Jesus Christ. And just <laughs> from looking at um, you know, their cage match, he only worked five, six. He, he worked nine of their ten shows. No wonder Ray resigned with WWE, man. He needed to replenish the bank account for fuck's sake. Which which begs begs the question: nine shows, but was owed, say, sixty thousand pounds for rough figures. Did he ever get paid? I mean, it doesn't where sound David, like it. Where was David Starr when he needs him then? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and going back to about next to UK, I mean, when you get all these signings, you know, if you boil it down to individuals. Like, I don't know of any single person who begrudges I don't know, when Walter got signed. Yeah, it was a bit of a, a bit of a gut punch, but it's like nobody begrudged Walter for signing because he'd been around for a decade. You know, he'd worked a lot in Europe. Straight you know, if you talk about what more could he have done, wasn't much more he could have done. No, he's progress champion, he since lost the belt. But in terms of where else he could go, well, you no, know, it wasn't like he was gonna be able to go to you know, he'd already said he didn't want to go to America full time. Well, we'll see. Um, he didn't. You know, he wanted to go to Japan. Well, that didn't seem beyond the cards. I mean, I know he but last run for F Pro. He had a few matches against um, Tomohiro Ishii, and I remember at one of the WWE press conferences that uh, we covered. He was asked straight up, you know, was there talks of you and New Japan? And it was a flat no. Now. Whether that was work or not, because by that point he had been signed by WWE. But to me, it's like, well, one, someone's, you know, if the New Japan thing's true, someone's sleeping there because, you know, Christ, we saw the match today, uh, Shingo and uh, Big Tom. You've been a perfect fit against either of those guys, but, you know, as it is, didn't happen. So Walt got signed, nobody complained as much about, well, oh, Walt is sold out, blah, blah, blah. You know, nobody complained you know, when it was, you know, say, Legero when he signed when the NXT started. The issue has not been the individuals, it's been the volume. It's like nobody's begrudging you know, people signing, getting guaranteed money and making a living. I mean, I know it's the meme of or taking food off their table. Well, that's never it. The issue is it's more almost regret for it, like um, Chris Brooks. You know, he's just left for UK. He's relocated to Japan, working for DDT for the next 12 months. He's about the only guy who said no to those contracts. Well, I mean, listen, man. I mean, you have the choice between fighting in a water slide park and facing Kona Reeves in, like, a three-minute bullshit match. I'm going with DDT in the water park, brother. Well, yeah, and the fact <laughs> is, you no know, DDT, you get to see elephants. 
Well, shit, there you go. But but again, you know, it's the whole thing of, is it a business or is it art? And for some, and again, I'm not casting aspersions, I'm not saying that anyone took no did this just for money. I mean, hell, I probably would have done the same too. You know, especially, especially, like, you know, we talk about Killer Kelly. You look at that women's division. They've got a lot of names about that women's roster. And if you look at the taping histories, you know, outside your Kaylee Rays, your Tony Storms, your Pipe Nibbins after they signed, nobody's working regularly. You're still getting your paycheck. And to me, you know, if you're guaranteed, I think, you know, there's numbers I've heard, you know, they you know, range from maybe about 20,000, a year. I don't know how true they are, but you know, use that as a ballpark figure if you wish. If you're getting twenty-five grand a year just for you know, going to the performance centre in Enfield, doing you no know, travelling to TV once a month, catering hotels, maybe doing a match, and in a lot of these cases, like Nina Samuel still works fairly regularly for E, for instance, and progress when they want to have more than one women's match. Um, no, same with okay, maybe not Kelly and Piper Niven, but Killer uh, Kelly before she left was doing WXW number shows. You know, at that kind of level, if you're able to get that guaranteed money and do stuff on the side, well, all of a sudden you can maybe be forgiven for picking and choosing your indie bookings. You know, you're all of a sudden, like Legero was notorious for working upwards of 300 shows a year. My, okay, man, was, my man was working like a fucking Mexico schedule, dude. He was working an insane clip for a long time. So. And a lot, a lot of those, okay, were the holiday camp shows. But for plenty of weekends, you look in his cage match, where he was double-shotting, and I'm not talking about double-shotting, oh, I did Butlins on the morning and Butlins in the afternoon. No, he was doing, you know, more than not, shows in Leeds on the Sunday afternoon, and then maybe Manchester in the evening. He was put, he, Ligero had put a lot of miles under him. So for someone like him, I have no issue with a guy who's been around, done the miles, you know, done prematurely can on the indies getting that kind of deal. You know, the issue is the other end is those coming in, and again, I'm not going to name names, not going to, you know, accuse or anything like that, but someone coming in straight out of training, out of training school, you know, with, especially with NXT UK's record of not developing talent. Um, okay, might happen to someone, but, you know, past performance is an indicator, you know, maybe if an indicator of future performance... And really, who's you no know, done anything from day one and moved up? You know, we just saw the Hunt tonight. You know, they debuted with a bit for buzz, but really, their two singles guys they couldn't figure out anything to do with. Um, and the fact that you know, they're kind of being usurped by Pretty Deadly, and they're only been in, you know, probably what once this their first set of tapings. And to me, it's there is a train of thought that the people who book NXT UK or the public face of NXT UK, I should say, are the people behind progress. So you Jim Smallman, John Briley, Glenn, Rob, Glenn Joseph. Now, in terms of, you know, do I think that they are controlling everything, pulling all the strings? Of course not. You know, like everything else, there are people well above them who make calls, who they answer to. But I will say, if you look at who's been pushed in NXT UK versus who's been pushed when in promotion they've had the final say in, there's an awful lot of overlap there. Yeah, and I know that's one thing that's frustrated a lot of people, and that just that goes kind of to NXT UK as a whole. And we've 
we've often talked about this. It's not so much that you're to get a lot of bad NXT UK shows, but the problem is it, it's still evolving as a product, but it feels stale a lot of the time because, you know, like last year, there was only the two takeovers. So you kind of have a lot of dead time. You're doing the old NXT format of taping three to five shows at one clip on a day. And then you're just, you're getting all these people on there. And I guess for lack of a better word, they're not evolving the talent. You're not seeing people grow. You're not seeing people really move up the card. I mean, Jordan Devlin was doing his best work of his career, signed to WWE, outside of WWE. I mean, the, the, the fact that he was fucking killing it in OTT and other places, and then barely being used on NXT UK TV, was fucking dumbfounding to me. But I mean, yet that's exactly what happened. And again, I think the issue you've got is like, we were 81 episodes deep now. And the big issue for formatting that TV is it's the old way that NXT used to do television. You have you, you ship your whole roster in one, two nights a month. You tape, you know, six, seven, eight weeks of TV, week, you know, across the two nights. The problem is, you look at the way NXT is being taped now. You know, you're getting shows where pretty much all the key names are on every week. So, you know, we just have a takeover last week. You know, Tommaso Ciampa and Adam Cole were on that show every week. If I was under the NXT UK format, you'd have maybe an Adam Cole match week one, nothing week two, a vignette in week three or a promo. Week four, he'd maybe have like a video package. Then week six, he'd have another match. Then week eight, we'd have a you know, contract signing or something like that. Okay, I get NXT UK doesn't have regular takeovers, but the fact that if you're a fan of pretty much anyone on this roster apart from Gallus, they're not on TV every week. Like, I'll I'll pull up the our friends again the cage match. You know, if you look at the NXT UK you know, week to weeks, so I'm just going back, to, just going back a few months or so, uh, last June, say. So TV show fifty through fifty six. So you're looking at, so Ilya Dragunov's on TV show 50, and then didn't appear again until 57. It's like, so you're going two months between, you know, one of your favourites having a match, and you're surprised people aren't interested? I mean, this year, you know, started you know, a month ago when WWE moved to BT Sport in this country. NXT UK actually is on proper broadcast television. It's on BT Sport 2 on Friday nights. If you want to stay up late, it's on uh, Paramount Network, the old um, Spike TV over here, on Wednesday nights at midnight. It's not being watched by anyone. No, the TV ratings for Paramount Network are no, available publicly. The top 15 that uh, BARB, which equivalent of Nielsen list, it's like 12,000-15,000 people of 12,000-15,000 uh, viewers. And if NXT UK is not breaking that, granted on a crap time slot a week after the show's first aid, where's the interest? And that's kind of alarming considering, I mean, for lack of a better term, it's a UK product in the UK and it's, you're not breaking 20,000 people. So let me clarify that. It's actually, it was BT Sport 2 if the bottom shows about 15,000 people and it's still not breaking that. But that's even worse because that's airing the day after the air of the network. 
And if you go by, okay, Twitter's never the best metric, just ask people to follow WWE Financials. But you, know, you look at people on, you know, on Twitter, at least the people you think NXT UK is trying to appeal to, there is no buzz for that most weeks. The people maybe bring themselves to watch the takeovers, but the actual NXTs, the actual NXT UK shows, they get no traction at all. They really don't. And uh, I mean, I can tell you just from like my personal experience, judging the, the metrics on the site and everything, it's like NXT UK takeovers will do like when I do live coverage, they'll kind of roughly do maybe an impact pay-per-view number of comments, which is like a third of what a WWE pay-per-view would do. If that, um, it does a little better than ROH would do live coverage wise, but like, you know, we're recording now and we've already watched NXT UK cause we're recording on a Thursday. This is going to go up over the weekend. My NXT UK review, and I, I can't check the hit numbers right now, but just looking at it, nobody's commented on this show yet. And it, it, my um, review's been up for an hour and a half, and normally I put a review up, and people are commenting right away. And it's just, but it's like that every week with NXT UK. Like, I'll go in there tomorrow, and there's going to be two or three guys that are like, fuck, I love Ilya Dragunov. That was a great match. I'm so happy. And it'll be like two or three guys, and that's probably it. If you want to look, you know, uh, Fig for Weekly, observe website. I'm looking at the website now. This is 90 minutes after the show finished. Not a mention of it. Um, no, in terms of, like, uh, numbers, I'm just putting on my own site. Um, so NXT UK, okay, bear in mind it's only been up for an hour, but a preview of a show that I posted 24 hours ago it's had more views than my show. Hell, I'm, I'm just having to double-take this. A random uh, match review I wrote for, with some Women of Honor matches from... that I wrote in October 2016 has had more views from that NXT UK report. So, like, I would consider not my site. Okay, I cover a lot of New Japan, but... The bulk of the promotions I write about are based in Europe, you know, Progress, RevPro, uh, OTT, WXW. So I'm not saying I'm a, a top guy or source, I mean, far from it, but in terms of you know, coverage, the bulk of my site is you know, British and, and European. And you know, most weeks, the NXT UK shows, you know, don't break into even the, no, pretty much always the bottom of the weekly art, weekly reviews I do. It's like, you know, going by what's been posted in the last seven days, you know, going by you know, stuff like Ref Pro Show, but, you know, from last week, that's by far and away the most read because, surprise, it has buzz. Um, but things like, you know, NXT UK, it bear, you know, it's lucky if it gets out of bottom two or three in terms of articles read every week. And, and unfortunately, that kind of goes back to the joke of, NXT UK is a brand that allegedly exists and nothing happens. Well, we were talking about earlier. Who isn't spinning their wheels? Like Jordan Devlin, if he hadn't gone to NXT with the Cruiserweight belt, where would he have been in these shows? Mid-card. Again, going through those usual results. You've got, let's see, um, 
you know, Ashton Smith, he's been on there since day one. And he's, his progression's been from, you know, glorified enhancement talent to glorified enhancement tag team. Fair. You no. Know, <laughs> Trent's. I mean, I would even say, case of the case of people not rising, I would argue some's fallen. Trent Seven has pretty much gone 50 50 with Eddie Dennis. And you know, some people say without Tyler Bates, Trent Seven is a solid hand. He's a star. I mean, you know, I comment all the time, you know, Tyler Bate and Trent Seven are pretty much the only guys who get the massive pops. They're the only goddamn stars on this brand. And when you've had 80 weeks of TV and you've not created anybody to you know, come close to that level, then how can you call that a success? Like, okay, take over sellout. Well, yeah, big shows do tend to sell out over here. The week the TV tapings, they ran in York a month ago. Neither of those shows sold out. You know, they're running in Coventry in, a month, in about two weeks' time. And from what I hear, those are far from sold out. It's like, you know, the, the, whole, the whole format, it's working in terms of it's creating content, it's, you know, it's creating a TV show, it's creating talking points, I guess, for, for folks like us. But, I mean, you, we saw it Worlds Collide. That first match when Lily Dragunov came out. Absolute silence. So that tells you, outside of the UK, it's probably just yourself and Joe Lanza who watches this every week. I don't even think Joe watches it anymore. <laughs> Maybe catch-ups, and even many cherry-picks. So, yeah, it's probably just yourself and whoever covers it for PW Insider, I believe. So, but yeah, but then again, when you branded NXT UK... Can you blame people in America not watching us? Yeah, and the other thing too is like we, we talk about how the show just it kind of feels stale and you get into these long runs to where it feels like absolutely nothing is happening. And like, you know, today's show was a rare good show. It felt like because we actually had some good wrestling and they announced some good stuff from stuff for next week and everything. And it's like, hey, this actually felt like a TV show with a purpose behind it. And I think, we'll see where we are in three weeks, though, because these pop up every once in a while, and you kind of get some hope, and then it's back into the same old. I think, obviously, next week, it going on to an early time slot because of Saudi Mania, yeah, that's going to derail it a little bit, um, like anyone watches it live anyway. But I think the next two weeks, we've announced Kelly Ray, Tony Storm, then the week after, Walter and Dave Mastiff. You know, and you look at the way the, the, the tapings work. At first, they had a storyline arc from taping one to taping two. They still do that, but they tend to save the big matches for the main events of the second block of tapings. It's like, well, yeah, no wonder the first, you no, know, out for eight weeks of shows, shows one to four were usually flatter than five to eight because they put all the good stuff in the second night to sell tickets. And Again, I don't know what you do. I don't know if you can move to proper monthly tapings where you have, you know, I don't want to say you shut down progress and, you know, take the ballroom dates they have now, but I do wonder is... I I don't think running weekly is going to ever be a thing. No, because, I you know, don't think so, but I do think at the very least they need to do something to transition to monthly. 
at the very least. Yeah, I agree. Weekly just doesn't seem viable at all. It's too much cost for not enough gain. Oh, the fact as well is there's been absolutely zero talk of them doing house shows. It's like, you know, it's not even a case that there's buzz of them saying, well, we're going to do, you know, we'll tape in Coventry on Saturday and Sunday, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we'll go in Wolverhampton, Liverpool, you know, any, somewhere like that. So for me, you know, going weekly, that's off the table. But I think if you can do monthly so that every show you have a main event, you have a reason to draw fans. Because right now, you know, like, like I just said, the two-night tapings, night one's usually the weakest of the two. And unfortunately, that comes across on TV. And you no know, short of rewriting stuff so that you have big main events, the problem is they don't. They tend not to announce matches for TV anymore because it tips off the booking. So if the end, like if you look now for, uh, I think it was Coventry uh, Skydome, so where the next um, next NXT UK tapings are. So I've just pulled up their website now, and what's here? Uh, it's the Planet Ice Arena. Events. Next events, NXT UK Live Coventry, and literally all showing is um, fans attending will see their favourite stars, including Walter, Kaylee Ray, Mark Coffin, Wolfgang, Tyler Bate, Trent Seven, Ginny, Lee Dragunov, Tony Storm, Zyra Brookside, Grizzled Young Veterans, and all your favourite trademarks and all rights reserved symbols. Like, there's no matches there. Literally, all your see, all your that's attracting you to that show is the NXT UK logo and the the generic poster of every face of a company. Like, it's a, it's a fan, if I wanted to go, you know, not knowing this is a TV taping, like, and even then, the poster of this is saying live tour, not indicating it's a TV taping. So, if it's a live tour, like, when they run house shows, they'd at least give you the, you know, the softball matches, okay, you're not going to see title change, but you'd at least have some idea what matches you're going to see. Okay, yeah. hang on. This is for the Coventry show. The the website isn't is it? It's not advertising Balor. So at the moment, right now, I'm looking at uh, CoventrySkyDome.com, and there's zero mention of Finn Balor. Because I mean, I know that they've announced him for it. Because I'm looking at the tweet in our post on the site, and clicking the link in the post. Yeah, I'm probably on the same place you are. Yeah, no fucking... Me- How are you not mentioning Finn Balor on this fucking site? And again, you could argue it's the arena that doesn't, does or doesn't advertise, but at the same time, um, I'm looking now at the ticketing for this. So you are looking now, ticketing for these shows, you're looking at £50 down to £15. And I'm actually on the ticket page, still no mention of Finn Balor. And yeah, 50, so across the two nights, £100 if you want to see the two TV tapings, no ringside. With no matches known. And this, so for all you know, it could be Finn Balor against Walter, or it could be Finn Balor against Jack Stars. For your 50 quid. Although I will say Finn Balor, John Woo, and Jack Stars across the fucking wing, ring would be spectacular, but because he's been killing people with that lately, I would love to see that actually. But yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, I don't understand. I, I don't get it. I, I don't get how they're not advertising better. They just, um, they need to do something, man. Because inherently, it's like, it is not a bad brand. It is not a bad roster. There is a lot of talent there. But as we've talked about, the biggest problem is you gave birth to this promotion. You took all the talent you wanted. You crippled other promotions. And then you're just... It's it's your UK warehouse to where you Absolutely. can hide a bunch of other talent that people aren't allowed to have. I mean, this this one takeaway I want to make sure people have from this. You know, as someone who went to Progress shows monthly, who still goes to Ref Pro monthly and a lot of other indies, yeah, of course I'm disappointed, but a lot of my favorites aren't around anymore. But at the same point, you know, I really want NXT UK to be better. If I'm if I'm losing my Travis Banks, if I'm losing my Walters, if I'm losing my Tyler Bates, my Ilya Dragunovs, etc., I want to be able to see them doing something that actually matters, rather than watching them on the UK version of WWE Superstars. I mean, you review main event every week. You know, this has got slightly more variety than that, but in terms of crowd interest, this may be bad miking. It's pretty much the same goddamn level. Uh, some weeks, yeah, it definitely feels like that. And that's a shame because it it really shouldn't be. There, there's too much damn talent on the roster. But again, I think a lot of that comes with the way you're taping TV, which we already talked about. And it's just, it needs to be addressed and fixed, honestly. It really does. Because otherwise, it's just, for lack of a better word, it's just content that yep. means nothing. And I know the meme has been with all Pritress's state. And to a point, yeah. You know, you lose all the top stars, you have to go through a spell where you replace them. And like we said, some companies have been better positioned than others. Uh, WXW, okay, they only lost Walter and Ilya Dragunov. Okay, Tim Thatcher, you know, wherever he lands up. But, you know, they lost two of the big names um, and they're having to replace because who knows who else they're going to lose. Defiant, you know, they lost three WWE guys. And unfortunately for them, their overall alternative was indie guys who have to travel a long distance, you know, maybe not going to get the money back in terms of transport versus the plans they get in. And to an extent, that's kind of what killed them. And Rev Pro, where, you know, their 2019, I called this in one of my reviews, 2019 was their Anis Horribilis. You know, in terms of, you know, they had a lot of shows, um, I think some of the early traveling shows they had were in front of very small crowds. But you no, know, the show they had last Friday in your call, you know, I I called my own podcast. It was like a shot in the arm, but the scene needed. The thing is, one good show isn't going to undo eighteen months of you know people being signed away, of you know ill feeling of of all of what we're going through now. And I think. If NXT UK was more than throwaway TV 90% of the time, I think people would be a bit more leaning towards it. But the fact that, like, say, you watch the show, it's in most of the time it's in soulless arenas where, you know, if chance come through, it's because the Yorkshire Brothers are there. And genuinely, if you watched the York and the Hull tapings for the last few months, most of the chance have come from those two guys and they, you know, they go through things over 100 shows a year. So you know, there are seasoned fans, but NXT UK to me feels like it's taking indie talent and aiming it at casual fans who will go because it's got WWE on. 
and as you and I know, Larry, indie wrestling and WWE wrestling, two completely different styles and two completely different fan groups. And it's not trying to circle square, but maybe wasn't meant to be uh, circled. Yeah, and it's it's unfortunate because it's frustrating because. You know, like I said, there, there, someone got insulted the other week when I, I wrote something about NXT UK in my review. It was like, something along the lines of, it was a perfectly solid show that felt like nothing happened. And they got this, someone got all upset about it. And I'm like, listen, I'm like, it, the show is what it is sometimes, you know? I'm like, you just put on some matches and you really don't announce anything for next week and you're not really telling stories some weeks. It's just content. Yeah, it's nothing happening, and it's. I think that the show definitely should be more than that because I mean, as we see, every once in a while we get really good shows. Like I enjoyed today's show a lot. I thought Joseph Connors and Tyler Bate was really good. Ilya Dragunov and Joe Coffey was really good. Jenny explained why Jazzy Gabbard's gone. You know, Noam Dar had a solid little squash. I mean, it was a good little TV show this week. Plus, they actually announced our stuff for next week, and it's like, okay, you were a TV show this week. This is what you need to do more often. The crowd was into it a little more than it usually is this week. Yep. Just, you know, give me a little more of that. I, I'm not expecting, like, I always talk about it. People get upset when, like, oh, you, why do you say that you feel most weekly TV is average? I'm like, well, because sometimes you have really good stuff. Sometimes you have really bad stuff. And then a lot of the time it's just there. It's just the unfortunate nature of weekly wrestling TV in 2019-2020. It's what it's become because the overall, the lack of storytelling and properly building episodic TV has largely been lost on a lot of companies. And I say largely because it hasn't been completely because, as I've talked about the past couple weeks, AEW feels like it's really locked into a groove right now. And I'm, I'm invested in a ton of stuff to whereas like last night's NXT was a low-level good show, but there was nothing that made me care or got me invested in it wasn't a bad show there wasn't a lot to complain about there was good wrestling but it was just kind of there plus you had velveteen dream and a fucking onesie so i mean you know again you know i'm not saying no uh rival promotion going head to head with next uk would work i know there's a few people calling for ref pro last week to be on broadcast tv that's never going to happen you know we've had too many cases now where whether it's your five stars your world of sports or even ref pro have burned TV covers because if the height of the buzz the British had, it did not translate to TV numbers. But I mean, like, like saying, you know, the one thing I will say is in terms of all the talent that NXT UK has, they should be getting a much better, you know, critical, critically, a much better product out than they are. And one last thing in closing, why so much Gallus? Who's oh. asking for this? Gallus boys on top, unfortunately, man. I, I I get you. I hear you. They, the best thing about Gallus is the little theme song. At least I can enjoy that. But then I realize it means they're coming out. So um, and for me to close out, I just want to say, and for for people that are to say we sound a little harsh and negative here at times, what you have to understand is this: positivity for the sake of positivity does nobody any good. Number one. No. Number two, Ian is on this show because he is kind of like my conduit to the inside of, obviously, Brit Wrestling, okay? Because I don't live over there. And he loves it. He's been to these shows, and he has way more background on a lot of this stuff. Number three, the other thing is it's coming from a place of love from both of us. 
because as I have explained over the years, I have constantly tried to evolve my fandom. Um, when ECW and WCW closed, I got into TNA, which meant I found AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, and a bunch of guys I loved, which got me into ROH and PWG. I started getting into Lucha. You know, I'd later get into Evolve and all these things. And another thing I did over the years is I started getting into the British wrestling scene because I found like Will Ospreay, Marty Scurll, British Strong Style, and people like this. And it's another thing that just makes me love wrestling. And the bottom line is, I think we just both, we both know and think it could be a lot better. Because there's too much talent and there are smart people behind it. But for whatever reason, it feels largely stagnant a lot of the time. And maybe 2020 things will change. I mean, we already had a takeover in January. We have another one coming up in April. So, you know, maybe they're going to start advancing this brand a little more and changing things up. And moving people around, and we're going to see what happens. I'm optimistic, but I think it's important to call out the shortcomings of it and the effects it's had on the overall Brit wrestling scene. Again, again, like, you know, RevPro has been the company everyone's looked at to see the state of the wider British wrestling, rightly or wrongly. I mean, I think it's also very telling that uh, Progress, they were you know, the people who. You know, run NXT UK and obviously Progress themselves for for years their shows were hot tickets like you were going I remember for years when I, I didn't have a Progress season ticket I was buying my tickets when they went on general sale and every Monday one Monday month at lunchtime they would drop at 12 noon I was sitting F5 like a goddamn trooper trying to get tickets and most of the time I got them but ever since their show at uh, Wembley Arena uh, September 2018, coincidentally around about the same time NXT UK was starting, those tickets, those shows stopped being instant sellouts. I mean, now they've got a show uh, this coming Sunday, say we're recording this on, on a Thursday evening, and Progress have got the full card out, and as I look now, um, you know, a promotion which used to sell out the Electric Ballroom in a matter of minutes... I can still get tickets for the seating and standing in, in terminal. And sit the whole time they've been at the electric ballroom, you know, you, okay, maybe at a few shows where standing tickets have been available on the day of, but to still have seats available, what, 72 so hours before showtime, that in itself is a lot more of an indicator of how the indie fans feel, I would say, than, you no. Know, whether Rev Pro's having a good show or whether, you know, a promotion with all, you know, all due respect to progression class as much as I like them, they were only open for a year or two. You know, but you know, a promotion that's been on a long while, suddenly having issues selling out, even seats, is a bigger indicator than a promotion that's been around a couple of years closing the doors. But, but yeah, it's, I mean, Ron Rennes on a happy note. I mean, you know, it, it is getting eyeballs from the wrestling scene, but the product that's been, that's out there, no, could be a lot more consistent, and it's not a hard fix. You know, moving to monthly taping, you know, could well fix it. It's just is the appetite there within WWE to do it, or do we need a world sport to threaten another series, or you know, New Japan to threaten a UK dojo or something like that? But yeah, you no, know, it's not a dead brand. It just feels like it half the time. 
Yeah, and that's the unfortunate thing, because it really shouldn't. So uh, That'll wrap up our portion of the show. Ian, I want to thank you again for coming on, buddy. And uh, Everybody go check out BackBodyDrop.com. As Ian said, he catches uh, and reviews a ton of the uh, UK and European stuff. He also does New Japan Pro Wrestling. And uh, you're going to be going to the WXW 16 Carat stuff, and you're probably going to have a ton of photos and coverage of that, I imagine. Yes, so uh, this time, actually two weeks' time, uh be the first show there when we won't be covering uh, the Inner Circle. It's a mystery show at their academy in Essen. Um, that one we don't cover because one was barely any phone signal in the building. But the main 16 carat gold shows, none of these are being live streamed, by the way, guys. So if you want to watch them, www.now.com, uh, they drop in March. But we've been we've had a pretty good run of having the live show reviews up pretty much by the end of the final bell. So got 16 carat gold starting on friday so let's uh get the date friday march 6 uh that'll be finishing around about uh, 11 p.m or 11 p.m on midnight uh, friday night uh, uk time then there's three shows we'll be doing on the saturday uh two on the sunday and then whatever wrap-ups and audio bits we can get around. And, of course, we'll have photos from all of the shows for Turbine Hall. Uh, all that be linked to on BackBodyDrop.com, the Instagram at BackBodyDrop, and the Twitter at BigBackBodyDrop. Give us a follow. You know any shows we go to live, we tend to have Instagram stories as well. And, yeah, if you just want to see what does British and European indie wrestling look like, but you don't want to watch a VOD, well, you know, it shows who have looked at our Instagram stories, and we'll give you a good insight. All right, so thank you again, Ian, and I'm going to carry on with our next segment of the show. All right, welcome back to segment two of the show, and we're going to preview WWE Super Showdown, which takes place later this week. Joining me, you may remember him. He popped in on the old blog talk shows. He used to run the MMA Ground and Pound Radio on 411. A good friend, Mark Radlich. Mark, how are you today? I'm doing very well, Larry. Thank you for having me on. No problem. I was uh, glad when you reached out and wanted to do some audio. It's been a long time since we talked, and um, yeah, we got the uh, got the Saudi show coming up this week, and then uh, you're going to be back on next weekend, and we're going to talk about this show uh, in review form, and then we will also talk about the AEW Revolution pay per view. So uh, you'll be pulling double duty in the week. I'm very excited. I generally review shows a few days later, but I'm going to stay up uh, late with you into the midnight hour reviewing that Revolution show. <clears throat> which I'm really looking forward to because I do love me some John Moxley and I will go wherever he goes. There you go. So yeah, a lot of good stuff to talk about. And uh, again, this is the WWE, uh, the, for lack of a better term, the Saudi Mania show, Super Showdown 2020, part of the 10-year agreement with the Saudi Sports Authority, which is making WWE a shit ton of money when the KSA wants to pay them, which they <laughs> are delinquent on, judging by the latest financials again. So, you know, it's the uh, it's a deal that's polarizing. A lot of people don't like it. People get upset when I mockingly call it Saudi Mania, but it is what it is because it is Saudi Mania. It's um, making more money than WrestleMania um, per show. And, um, I mean, what the hell are you going to do? But, uh, yeah. I listened, I listened to your last show, and you talked about Tito Ortiz at the Performance Center. And uh, <clears throat> I got very excited about the last Saudi show because they said – Yes, we know we were paying the World Wrestling Entertainment Company to put on a wrestling show. But if you could just leave your roster at home and only bring over MMA and boxing guys, that would be great. Here's a zillion dollars. And I laughed and I trolled and I and I thoroughly enjoyed all of that. I even might have liked the matches. 
I'm hoping the next Saudi show is Tito Ortiz versus Brock Lesnar. Just give me more of that, because if nothing else, I enjoy when the when the internet wrestling community sets itself on fire. Yeah, and that will definitely happen if that match takes place. So. <laughs> Um, who the hell knows what's going to go on with Tito? It's like we talked about Wednesday. I mean, with all due respect to Tito and his MMA career, I mean, my man's 45. He has a bad back and neck. Allegedly suffered a skull fracture at one point. It's just like, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know how much Tito would have to give, but I mean, hey, if he scores a big Saudi payday, good for him. I mean, <clears throat> it took uh, nothing to get him signed up with Alberto Doe, whatever he's calling himself these days, on Combate. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't think what you what you have to offer physically is even a factor anymore. It's how much how much name, how valuable is your name, and can we fool enough people into thinking this is going to be entertaining? <laughs> I guess that's the, the gist of it. So uh, we start off the show. This is the card as we have it. Um... Allegedly, there will be a Mansoor match added from uh, Rumors, which would obviously make sense because he's kind of like their hero over there, and they try to build him up as a star, and there's nothing wrong with that. He's actually quite good. It's just they don't fucking ever use him. Like, they use him on these Saudi shows. He made a couple appearances in NXT and NXT UK, and then, like, oh, hey, here's Mansoor at NXT Portland to baby face it up because Sam Roberts is a douchebag. Yeah, I don't understand why they don't have Mansoor as a regular on the NXT UK shows, you would think with the audience over there, such as it is, um, he, he would be pretty valuable. And, you know, Walter needs some fresh baby faces that aren't big, fat, hairy guys. Exactly. And it's just, um, yeah, it's uh, kind of puzzling. They don't have a match for him already. But we start off with the Tweak Mountain Trophy Gauntlet match. The... Uh, so we have Rusev, R-Truth, AJ Styles, Andrade coming off his suspension, Eric Rowan, and Lashley. And this is the latest of the Saudi Mania-specific matches and a line of them that really haven't meant a lot or done anything. I mean, the greatest Royal Rumble gave Braun a, a big accomplishment and a big green belt that we've never seen again. They <laughs> did that giant tag team gauntlet to crown the best tag team in the world that the Good Brothers won, and then it didn't do anything for them. They did the best in the world tournament, which ended up being a giant waste and set up the Shane heel turn, which I'd rather forget. And then, you know, we got that ridiculous 50-man battle royal, which was absolutely no good, but Mansoor got the big win there. And the good thing out of that was at least Mansoor got to have a really good match with Cesaro on the next show. And, like, I have in my preview, it's like, you know, speaking of which, where the fuck is Mansoor? It's like, come on, man, give me the Mansoor match. He was, like, probably the best thing on that last show. And again, obviously he's working with Cesaro, but Mansoor is actually like good. So it's like, where's he? Um, it's like I think before the suspension, Andrade would have had a really good chance at winning. And then I looked at the lineup, and I was gonna go with Rusev, and the Rusev resigned. Here's a cookie as a reward match. But um, all I think, all I can think of now is Styles is rumored to face Undertaker at Mania. And he should probably win this. Gauntlet matches, in my opinion, very hit and miss. Have to be laid out well. You have to have strong workers. Like, Rusev is good. Truth is a ton of fun. AJ can be good. Andrade is really good. Eric Rowan's a big brute. And Bobby Lashley is Bobby Lashley. So, I'm going to go with AJ on this one, Mark. You figure Eric Rowan and R-Truth are there to provide 
some entertainment and pinfalls. So then really all you've got left is Styles, Andrade, Lashley, and Rusev. Rusev just signed. He showed his commitment to the company. He's been a good company guy. He's done whatever they've asked of him. So he'll get pinned, I'm sure, right away. (laughs) (laughs) And that leaves (laughs) ye old Bobby Lashley, Andrade, and AJ Styles. I like your pick for AJ Styles. I think it makes sense going into Mania that they would give him a high-profile win. So I'm going to pick Andrade because he's just coming off a suspension. And WWE does have a history of rewarding people coming off suspension. So, Yes, absolutely. Uh, and uh, the, the Rusev thing did make me laugh because that is a very WWE thing to do. Thank you for resigning and showing us your loyalty. By the way, Truth is pinning you in the first 30 seconds. Yep. Yep, we, we appreciate your commitment to this company. And when our, we show you how committed we are to you by burying you under 50 other guys. See you in five years. So next up, we have the SmackDown Women's Champion, Bailey facing off with Naomi. Mark, what are you thinking on this one? You know, I was talking the other day, Naomi, uh, when she first won the title back at WrestleMania in Orlando a few years ago, the crowd was really hot for her. She is a super, she can be in a super over babyface. I think a lot of the kids who come to see wrestling really enjoy her. She has this very colorful gimmick. Uh, with the you know the neon and everything, I think she's great. She's super athletic. Bailey, I, you know, there was so much potential for her when she did her heel turn because she was angry about you know always being dismissed and all of this other stuff. There was so much potential there, but they went another way with it, which I thought was really odd. They made her more low key, almost like depressed instead of angry and fiery given her circumstances but what about the wrestling you know bailey is sort of def- is sort of defined by whoever she's working with if she's working with somebody who can uh who, who can step up and really wrestle a a high intensity match she'll meet them there and i think she can pull off something good if she's working with somebody who's kind of struggling in the ring and just has the basics but isn't quite as crisp as they need to be. Her matches fall apart pretty quickly from what I've seen. So, you know, Naomi's not new. She's been there for a while. She's been on the main roster for a really long time. I have high hopes for this. I hope Naomi is able to pull a the kind of match that, I mean, we're, we're all hungering for that Bailey sasha Banks, NXT TakeOver match that they had where Bailey came out in the dusty gear and won the title. Because she hasn't had a match that good since. And for us Bailey fans, whether she's heel or face, that's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for the the Bailey we know is there. So we're hoping Naomi takes her there. Um, either way, I would say going into WrestleMania, Bailey hangs on to the title. I'm not sure what they're going to do with her, given they've got the NXT title on the main on the main WrestleMania card. But uh, I would say Bailey maintains the the title here. Yeah, and this is our first ever women's title match taking place in Saudi Arabia, which I think is kind of unfortunate, if only for the reason that instead of maybe trying to let them go out there and just have a good match and tell a good story and get praised for it, they're going to do nothing but bash us over the fucking head with the we're making changes in history bullshit. <laughs> and I, I that annoys me because... That's all it becomes about. They don't even talk about the damn match during the match. That's all they're going to talk about. 
And it, I, I find it greatly annoying because you're not telling the story. You're not doing your job as an announcer then because whoever's in the headset, the Vince or whoever is just bitching about history. God damn it. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, fucking tell the story. Maybe let them go out and have a good match. And then after they have a really good match, maybe you can sit there and sell them as these athletes that made, you know, they made a change by going in as athletes and having a really quality contest instead of just telling us they're making history. That shit I, always annoys me. I'm settling and being happy for the fact that it isn't two identical-looking blonde white women. This at is least true. I, at least I can tell who's who. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I agree with you. I think the match definitely has potential. Um, it'll be interesting to see how good a match they can um, wrestle wor- working in, like, sleeping bags or a snowsuit. Because, <laughs> I mean, God knows they're going to be totally covered up again. And, um... I wouldn't rule out the title change, but I do agree with you. I think Bailey is winning here. I just, um, I just, I, I look at this match and all I can think of is like, just please let them go and have a really good match and let commentary tell the story. And then if it's good, then, then, then you can play the history card and making changes all you want. I just think it kind of discredits the match when all you do is harp on it during the whole time, you know? It's just, I, I, I just, I want to appreciate the good match, you know? I, I don't disagree with you. I think they, I think, uh, and this is classic WWE for decades now, they don't know when to stop. You know, subtlety is not Vince McMahon's life, life's blood. He he is as over the top as they come. And so so his whole perspective on things is, you know, never, you know, always go over the top, always push it well past its sell-by date. And I think as a fan, I've just gotten used to that. Uh, I don't disagree that they should just, you know, let, let them have a wrestling match first and, you know, then recognize it as an event after. Um, on the other hand, you know, for all the and it's funny because you, you called it Saudi Mania. And I was like, did we retire the blood money name? We're not doing that anymore. Um, I'm, I'm trying not to anger people, Mark. I'm trying <laughs> to be a good boy. Fair enough. I, I got that lecture from my wife to say, say, hey, I'm recording with Larry. She said, great, don't be a douchebag. I'm like, oh, I'll try. Um so, I get it. We have to behave ourselves. Uh, and here's the thing, and this is something I've talked about when Anthony Joshua fought Andy Ruiz. I talked about it with all of these WWE Saudi shows. The country's not perfect. No country is. They're, they're trying. <laughs> Modernization does not come easy. Uh, it comes slowly and painfully. Um, so, I, I, I think I try to reframe it that way and be like, yeah, as a fan, it gets annoying but taking the long view, if Saudi Arabia modernizes more and you know comes more in line with the, the you know with modern culture in terms of the way they treat women and their citi- the rest of their citizens, I'll take it. <laughs> it's it's fine. It's we'll, we'll get there eventually. So you got to just kind of take some annoying bumps along the way. Does that make sense to you? No, it makes perfect sense, and I don't necessarily disagree. It's just like. The whole women's revolution thing that the whole time everything has bothered me is every time something happens, it's history. And it's like, don't beat me over the head with it. Can't you just let it organically happen? We weren't sitting there when Bailey and Sasha had a fucking awesome match at TakeOver talking about it being history all the goddamn time. They just went out there and had an absolute fucking banger and stole the show. Years ago, there was a uh, comic relief show. I don't know if you remember comic relief, but Uh it was... Okay, you do. 
for those for the kids out there, uh, it was a big comic event, a, co- a stand-up comic event show that they would, I think, raise money for like homelessness. And uh, Paula Poundstone made a joke on that show. She was like, "Hey, did you know it was Year of the Woman? It's the Year of the Woman. We only get one." And I died laughing, even as a kid back then, because isn't that how it is, right? You know, you talk about like the women's revolution. It's like, look, we've never had a revolution before. Like, Paula Poundstone was doing this shtick a decade before, you know, or two before that. Um, where we we like our marketing here in this country, that's for certain. No doubt. So we're going to move on, Mark. We have a cage match coming up here. The big dog, Roman Reigns versus King Corbin. And I have some points, first of all. Number one, Why? <laughs> Number two, who the fuck could possibly care? <laughs> Next up, WWE cage matches traditionally are not good. And then finally, can these guys actually have a good match here? That's a trick question, Mark, because the answer is no. They've had two pay per view matches, and I think I've given them a combined three and a half stars. Okay? Just, it's not good. It's like the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. This feud has been bad. Their TV interactions have been bad. We've got dog food. It feels like Reigns feels more downgraded than ever. And the longer he feuds with Corbin, the more I feel that. And like I, I've said it before, like the only reason he's constantly feuding with Corbin is because they know the crowd is going to cheer Reigns. They know that for sure. And like I keep hearing about how Corbin is this great heel. And for me, he's just... He's so cliche. He's overpushed. He's boring. They had a bad TLC match. Like, they had all the bells and whistles and still had a really bad match. They had an okay match at the Rumble, but they had all the bells and whistles. They brought around the stadium and they had four other guys to help them. And they still couldn't have a good match. And then we get a cage match now, which for me is just the most bastardized stipulation in all of WWE. One day continue to trot out despite the fact that I, they've just repeatedly ruined it over and over again throughout the years. They've killed this stipulation. It means absolutely nothing. They've devalued it so much, and I just... I don't know. It feels like they just like they, 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 they looked at the cage match, and they said, you know what? We don't like the cage match anymore. We're going to take it out in front of a crowd and just fuck it in the ass in front of everybody and humble it the old country way, because it means that much these days. They're just not any good because the stipulation means no much. Um, They have nobody under contract that can work a compelling cage match. Maybe sans Daniel Bryan without blood these days. And you're not going to get blood in a cage match unless it's an accident. So, And then, of course, we're going to have to take a 10-minute timeout so the ref can put gloves on and wipe them off. And All I can think of is, like, who on earth thinks this is a good idea? And then I remember Vince McMahon is sitting there. Counting his money, it's good shit, pal. I uh, I miss your old television coverages when during the Reign of Terror, where at the end when Triple H would inevitably win, you'd put up a picture of berries. Your uh, your other your other one that I enjoyed, of course, was the meme of Vince McMahon going because fuck you, that's why. That's a classic. Yes, um, I remember all the Larry Zonka uh, greatest hits. One of my favorite ones is uh. The dude from Planet Terror holding the big knife as he has the uh, ball uh, jar of testicles. I always <laughs> use that to refer to Stephanie McMahon. That's a good one. Yes, that that is perfect. 
and I bring that up only to, only to say that you have the you have the face that nobody wants versus the heel that nobody wants in a match that nobody wanted on a card that nobody wanted. For Scheidenfraude purposes, this is spectacular. For wrestling fan purposes, this uh, this is an unfortunate match. But who's going to win? Obviously, Roman Reigns. But can they have a decent match? I don't know. I I feel like both of them, both Corbin and Reigns, are the best company men they've got. They're willing to do whatever they're they're told, and they're doing it to their level best ability. I I wonder, you know, if when they're not under contract, when they're on someone's podcast years from now. If they're going to go back to this going, we were just doing what we were told. We were doing what we were told, and we knew it was trash when we were doing it. But hey, what else were we going to do? Leave and go somewhere else? Not on your life. So it, it's kind of it's like having a tooth pulled. It's just some, you know, it's just something you got to get through. It's, it'll be painful when it's happening, but then it'll be over, and we can move on to something else. We'll move on to Roman Reigns versus The Fiend. Yay! And King Corbin versus, I don't know, who knows. But, uh, yeah, it's, you know, I like cage matches. We were talking about that before we started recording. And I, I got to be positive here. I got to have high hopes, Larry. I hope they can pull out something that's passively entertaining. That's all I ask for. I don't even care. I'm not a work rate guy. I just want to be entertained. And hopefully the two of them can bumble fuck around that cage enough that I can at least laugh at what I'm watching. And, you know, and a laugh is as good as anything else, right? That's still enjoying things, right? Yeah, I mean, dude, I want it to be good. Don't get me wrong. It's just like, I've seen them. It feels like they've been feuding for a fucking decade. Oh, yeah. Because they they, were fighting on Raw, and now we're on SmackDown doing it. And it's just, it's never really been good. And it's just there. Why? Again, I... I, and I and I I think there's the occasional really fun, really special kind of out of the box thing that happens in in the WWE. But this is kind of my biggest problem with their main roster stuff in both Raw and SmackDown is that it's so sanitized. It's so meant for the broadest audience possible. You know, it's it's an Adam Sandler or a '90s Jim Carrey film. It, this is this is meant for as many people as possible, and. It's it's too broad to the point where it isn't enjoyable for 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 someone like myself. I don't want to speak for you, but, you know, if you like a certain kind of wrestling, if you you know, if you're looking for something that that seems authentic to you, it seems, you know, like they can make you believe that, you know, that this is a real fight, even though we know it isn't. Uh, you're not going to find that in the WWE most times. It's it, it's a rare, rare jewel when it happens. So I kind of look at this and I'm like, it, this is one of those, like, I've just been beaten down as a WWE fan. It's like, fine, fine, Roman Reigns, King Corbin, I get it. Let's get this, let, let's go, let's do it. And, you know, if it actually, if, if I actually am entertained by it, I will be pleasantly surprised. I'm just hoping it doesn't suck. That's all I can ask at this point. Because, like, as much as I dog on Corbin, he isn't horrible. He has shown potential. Like, mm-hmm. and uh, granted, it was Chad Gable, but he had good matches with Chad Gable. 
You know, it's like there is a little something there with the dude. He is not completely horrible, but it's just him and Reigns, I don't think click at all. I've never been into it, and I I just, I don't want to see another match, but here we are. Merry Christmas, Saudi Arabia. Hope you like crap. That might be, you know, Roman Reigns and King Corbin, oddly enough, as long as they've been on this main roster, that might be a case of both of them really do need to work with somebody who has more time in the business to get them both to where they need to be. Which is a weird thing because it's like, well, they've been on the main roster for so long. How do you? How could you possibly say they're not main roster ready? But the past five minutes, we've been talking about how th- this has been a first gear feud, and you know, I think we've seen the, the their level best at this point. But I think in both cases, a tweak here and a fix there, and maybe some you know insider advice from somebody who's been in the game for a really long time, and Corbin could even be a better heel. And Roman Reigns could be the face they want him to be. But they only work with each other. And then when they're not working with each other, they're not exactly working with long, long-time veterans. So I think it might be like what we were saying before about NXT off-air. About how sometimes some of these guys would really benefit from breaking away from their contemporaries and working with an older veteran. Yeah, well, tough shit, Mark. We're getting Corbin and Reigns again. So we're, we're stuck with it. <laughs> Unfortunately, so... Uh, next up, we have the Raw Tag Team Champions, CrossFit Jesus, and I'm not your buddy pal, Murphy, versus the Street Profits. Poor buddy Murphy lost his first name. What are you going to do, man? That's WWE. Um, tag Team title match, Mark, coming out of Raw when uh, the Street Profits uh, got involved in uh, Seth's little mission to take over the company there. Uh, what are you thinking on this tag title match? All four guys can work. Uh, all four guys can, you know, if if... They're allowed to kick it up a notch, have the ability to do so. Uh, this could be a lot of flippity-doos. This could be a high-impact match. I'm actually looking forward to it. I, I, when I looked up the ma- match roster this morning, I, was, I hadn't known that this was going to be one of the matches, so I, I'm just seeing this now for the first time. And I got really excited. I like the Street Profits when they're not talking, and I like, I like Seth Rollins when he's not talking. And you know Murphy never talks, and I actually I liked him when he was with the he was in the the dubstep tag team with Alexa Bliss on NXT. I thought they were a pretty good tag team. I enjoyed watching them wrestle then. So I have high hopes for this. That this is you know beyond my usual sarcasm. Uh, is I I am going. I think I'm going to enjoy this one. I think it's going to be a really ha- fun, high impact, uh, athletic match. So who do you got winning? Oh, Rollins and Mark Murphy by a long, by a country mile. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I look at this match. I look at all four guys involved. There is no reason this should not, at the very least, be good. Definitely, like you said, if they open up a little bit and they just let them, like, go out there and don't overbook this shit and let them have a really, you know, good time, could be even a great match because, like, the Street Profits have proven they can go. Murphy's awesome. Seth Rollins can go. Just let them do their shit, man. I mean, that's that's all I'm asking for this. I mean, I kind of I kind of side with you, and that I doubt we're getting a title change, but I don't think it's outside the possibility of strapping up the street profits because one would think that Seth is probably moving on to a Mania singles match with Kevin Owens. That's kind of what I'm feeling. Speaking of feuds that have gone on for a decade, yeah. <laughs> so. But yeah, no, this definitely has a lot of potential just looking at everybody involved. And I am looking forward to it. Probably will be one of the better matches on the card if I had to guess. 
Yeah, give me 10, 10 to 20 minutes of these guys just going balls to the walls, then send out the authors of pain to uh, break the street profits in half, and Seth Rollins and Murphy retain. Fair enough. Next up, we have the Universal Championship on the line, The Fiend defending against Bill Goldberg. Yes! And my first thought is, this just feels like such a horrible clash of styles because you have a guy who is really good in short bursts and that people love to see wreck other people in like 90 seconds. Facing off against a guy who seemingly only does really good with Daniel Bryan and then <laughs> otherwise is booked in matches that go way too long while he sells 18 finishers. So, like, one of my general things is there are people out there that will tell you the f- that The Fiend is massively over, that the fans are into all of his matches, and that he keeps having great matches every time out. I want to inform you that those people are liars. They are not your <laughs> friends, and you should stop talking to them immediately. There are a lot of good ideas, unfortunately. Like, kind of unfortunately, there's a lot of good ideas with Bray and the Fiend. He's a smart dude. He has a lot of great ideas. But I think that they don't always fully get edited or that they just there's too much. And then, like, you look at those really bad matches with Seth Rollins, some kind of cringeworthy TV segments at times. And then you have Bill Goldberg, who is just absolutely fucking haunted by that horrible match with Undertaker in Saudi Arabia where they almost killed each other. <laughs> but he's back because the lore of that sweet Saudi money was a little too much for him to walk away. And I, I can't blame the guy because he's probably going to bank like a million bucks or so for like 10 minutes max of work. I mean, shit, if somebody wants to pay me a million dollars for 10 minutes, I'm in. So it's like, I think part of me would just cackle like a fucking evil villain if he walked in, speared and jackhammered that motherfucker and won. Oh. And like, I can't believe I'm saying this, but like, honestly, I'd rather have Goldberg win and face Reigns at Mania instead of The Fiend because The Fiend isn't doing a lot for me, dude. I'm, I'm sorry. And then the other thing I'm taking into consideration is Mania tickets aren't moving as fast as they'd like. WWE is trying to lock down a deal to sell off major pay-per-views onto another streaming service. I would not, like, throw it out the window of them making the move, the big bill here, to face the the big dog at Mania. And people are to go, well, you know, they're going to work on this deal, but Goldberg's not going to be around forever. Well, you know what? They got the deal with Fox based highly off of Brock and Ronda Rousey, and where the fuck's Ronda Rousey? They're negotiating a deal. If Goldberg being in WrestleMania maybe pumps, you know, hits the gas a little more on them getting a deal with ESPN Plus or DAZN or whoever the fuck they go with, they're going to do it. So I would not rule out the title change. I'm actually going to go, I'm going to call it, I'm going to go with the Goldberg win here for the title. I agree with you. And and I, we've been talking for a little while, and in the back of my head I'm going, going hey, Tone it down. He has a lot of like pure wrestling fans that are not in the mood for your chicanery rattleage. So I, I, I'm fighting the urge to say all I want is just ten minutes of spear, uh, sit up, no sell, spear again, sit up, no. Because if they did ten minutes of that, I'd find it hilarious. I'd enjoy it. But again, I would see a lot of uh, wrestling fans just storming uh, Connecticut with signs and pitchforks and whatnot. So let's take a deep breath here. I'm going to put that part of me away and say, okay, uh, I like your idea of Goldberg coming away with the title here because I actually don't think The Fiend versus Bray Wyatt, uh, sorry, the, uh, the Fiend versus Roman Reigns at WrestleMania is a great idea. 
I would love to see them put the title on Goldberg. And I think your idea that uh, for the short period of time that he'll have the title while they're negotiating, looking like with ESPN or whoever, uh, is a good one. The other side of that is the story they've been telling with Bray is that he's this like unstoppable monster. And this is classic WWE. Build up your monster, build up your monster, build up your monster, slay your, you know, slay him at WrestleMania with your big hero. Your big hero is Roman Reigns. He has been for the past decade. This is your big monster. These two have to have an inevitable clash. So where else would you have it than WrestleMania here in Tampa? So what do you do then with the fiend in Goldberg? Um, Goldberg's not Goldberg can't go for that long. Even when he was in there with Brock in Orlando a few years ago. I mean, God bless him. They tried. <laughs> they they tried to have an actual wrestling match. And I enjoyed it because I like King Kong versus Godzilla. You know, I I certainly enjoy uh, you know these larger than life characters having a, a you know a good old hoss clash. But I don't think anybody walked away from that match wanting to see Goldberg do more than ten minutes of actual wrestling. How could you? He's <laughs> um, and you know and Bray, you know and Daniel Bryan was able to pull a great match out of Bray Wyatt with this fiend gimmick, but nobody else has been able to figure that out. So I'm actually going to go the other way with this. I think they're going to sell you on this. It's going to be a huge, like walk to the ramp. You know, there's going to be a big buildup. They're going to be in there. The lights are going to come off. And I think you're actually going to see, you know, Goldberg hit the spear, pick up Bray Wyatt for the jackhammer and the hand's going to come down and he's going to do the, uh, the old mandible claw reverse out of the jackhammer just sister abigail boom good night bray wins in like a minute that's my prediction wouldn't be shocked at all i mean it it would definitely be smart if they're pushing him into the mania match i mean you know if you can get build a job in a minute like that good for you i mean that's that that would be good in building up and you are right and like you know they do build up the monster and it does feel like reigns versus him has been the plan and I'm not going to disagree with any of that, and it might happen. I just, I don't know. For me, it, it it really does nothing for me. I'm just, I keep saying the mask is his weakness. I'm waiting for some fucker to rip that mask off and beat the shit out of him with it, and that's how huh? they beat him. So I don't Maybe know. that's what we'll see in Tampa. He'll throw him off the pirate ship, pull his mask off, take him to Ebor. So, you know, just, you know, they'll do an entire tour around Tampa. I jokingly talked with uh, Kevin on one of our last shows that, uh, I think one of the biggest injustices of coming into this WrestleMania is the fact that Kyrie Zane does not have a marquee singles match so that she could be a big baby face coming in on the pirate ship. Oh, no, 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 Larry. We have to have the Kabuki Warriors both dressed as evil pirates coming out for their tag team match at WrestleMania. If my kids don't see two Japanese women dressed up as evil pirates, there will be hell to pay. I, I tell you that right now. I mean, I'm all for that too, man. But it's just, <laughs> yeah, you got to use that pirate ship gimmick, dude. They they do. That's what I'm trying to tell you. We need to see Kari Sane and Asuka come out dressed up as evil pirates coming out of that pirate ship. It's Tampa. We have to see this happen. That would be spectacular. And we're going to move on. We have another tag team title match. New Day defending SmackDown tag team titles versus The Miz and John Morrison, the newly reunited team and... 
kind of feels like we're going back to 2010, but you know, it's a <laughs> kind of what I felt that they were going to do with Morrison. I didn't, I figured they would either throw him in there and maybe give him one title shot and then he'd go back to this tag team with the Miz, but they just threw him into the tag team right away. And it's not the worst thing because, you know, Miz was kind of floundering. How are you feeling about this one? I don't watch a lot of SmackDown. I DVR it, and then I never get to watch it. So I didn't realize that they had actually put The Miz and John Morrison together. First time I saw John Morrison back was at the Royal Rumble. And I like him. I like him a lot. Uh, I loved him in his singles run when he first started doing that gimmick. Uh, I, the New Day's fun. Um, my wife, my wife's uh, brother actually went to school with Big E. So I get to hear about that every time they come out. Every single time. So... You know, I think they'll put on a... This probably opens the show, and I'm sure it'll be a fine wrestling match. The New Day are always fun and competent. The Miz and John Morrison were fun together and clicked very well. Uh, I see the New, the new Day... Ugh. I have been waiting for the New Day to break up. I have been waiting for Big E to finally turn on Kofi. Maybe this is where it happens. Maybe the Miz and John Morrison pick up the tag titles here, and this is where we get our big New Day split. Or it'll be more of the same gruel that the WWE serves us week in and week out. Nothing ever changes, and it's all fine. It's just fine. Yeah, yeah. I look at this, and I kind of mentioned it before. All I can think of is, if I'm being completely honest with myself, is that Miz, through no no fault of his own, had a completely shitty 2019. The, <laughs> the, the Shane McMahon feud fucking wrecked him. He never got to get any revenge. And then he just kind of existed until The Fiend made him look like a giant fucking geek. And I, I was worried about that Miz face turn from the start, but he worked hard and did well with it until the booking just totally sandbagged him with that Shane feud. I mean, he looked like the biggest geek. He never won. He never got any real revenge. Just no good at all. And, like, the worst part is, like, when Kevin Owens beat Shane to quote-unquote get Shane fired... Like, they couldn't even let Miz come out there and, like, hit hit a skull-crushing finale and then have him and Owens, like, do a bish off and throw him in a fucking trash truck or something. I mean, they didn't give the Miz shit, man. Felt so I, bad for him. I don't know when the, the people who developed the stories in the WWE thought it was a great idea to have the good guys always lose or look terrible. You use the word geek, look like geeks. I, I, I don't know when this happened. But it's been going on for a while now, and I don't understand it. Like classic storytelling: your heroes win in the end. Your, you know, your your bad guys get over on them, get over on them, get over them. The bad guy, the good guys fight from underneath, and then they win in the end, and they conquer. And love conquers all. Yay! Storytelling. It's trite, but it works. And then there's the WWE. The bad guys win almost all the time. The good guys look terrible, and there's no reason for you to get invested in any of this. Like, interesting, I, I artistic. I like, I, I like what you're thinking here, but but why? Why would you do that? And and we never we never really get an answer. They just cause cause fuck you. That's why, pal. It's good exactly. shit. Exactly. So I mean, you know, so coming out of that and talking about the maze, I mean, dude obviously needed to change. Uh, the return of John Morrison allowed that, and uh, you know Miz is back being a heel, which he's very good at. 
And um, so he and Morrison, I, I like them being back together. I mean, it is a, feels a little old at times, but I mean, they are fun together. Um, they're a fresh team in the mix, though, even though, I mean, they're an old team, but they're fresh because they haven't been together for almost a decade. The setup was easy. They picked up singles wins over the champions. They won a number one contenders match. It's not hard. Like you said, it's simple storytelling. New Day, I find to be a really fun team. They always work hard. They're over. They make for fun champions, but I'd be lying if I said they didn't feel a little stale to me in the role right now. Um, I don't think they're bad. Don't get me wrong. It's just, it's like, yeah, they're the champions still. Yay. It's, it's fine. They're over. Good. Um, I think they'll have a good match. Um, and I would not be surprised to see a title change here. Cause I, I kind of think that they'll put them on Miz and Morrison and then probably work into a big multi-man match for Mania. Yeah. Like I said, I'm hoping this is the, uh, this is what sets up a new day breakup and maybe we get a Kofi biggie match. Um, with, you know, Xavier Woods somewhere in the middle going, but I love both of you uh, at Mania, but that might be high hopes on my part. So, and then um, I'm guessing, depending on Brock's schedule and if he wants to get out of there early, we'll just call this the main event of the night. <laughs> WWE Champion Brock Lesnar versus Rick O'Shea. So my first feeling on this one is I really would have loved if they actually would have heated up Ricochet as a strong babyface for this match. Because it's like he got kicked in the balls, then he kind of helped Brock get eliminated from the Rumble, and then he won a number one contenders match, and that's fine. But before that, he wasn't doing jack shit. Like, build him up a little bit. That's all I'm asking. So the match does make sense. It is a fresh match. And, you know, I just... Again, I wish there was a little more thought ahead of time to get him really ready for this. I think Ricochet's great. Um... If Brock wants to work, we know that he does thrive with smaller guys like Brian, AJ, and Balor. So if, and Mark, this is a big if, Brock <laughs> is feeling froggy and Paul can talk him into it and Paul is reportedly really behind Ricochet, I mean, they could actually have a regular match and if they do, I think it could be great. There's a lot of potential here. Um, I don't know what kind of match we're going to get. It, again, it could be three minutes of Ricochet trying to fly around and Brock killing him with suplexes and F5s and that's it. But at the end of the day, Mark, I want you to think back to when Brock Lesnar won Money in the Bank and would dance around with the briefcase. That's pretty much what he's going to do with the title at the end of this. He's going to dance on Ricochet's corpse and retain the title. I own the um, the Brock Lesnar t-shirt with the Money in the Bank as a boombox. I thought that was great. Oh, that was the highlight of uh, of my wrestling year last year. Good old um, breakdancing Brock. With the boombox. I'm watching uh, a gif of it right now. It's hypnotizing. Uh, him dancing in the Royal Rumble was fantastic. I need more dancing Brock in my life. Do you, you're another one of your classics. Mariachi Brock. Mariachi Brock, yes. Dancing Mariachi Brock. Uh, look, there's two kinds of Brock Lesnar's. There's the, I, there's the Dean Ambrose versus Brock at WrestleMania in Texas uh, that almost made me stop being a wrestling fan that whole event. It was so bad. Um, where he's not motivated, according to Dean Ambrose. He doesn't want to really do anything. It's the bare minimum to get in and get out and go back to wherever the hell he, his farm is in Canada. Then there's the motivated, interested, creative, willing to have a sense of humor about himself, Brock. And I'm hoping it's the latter and not the former that shows up here. Because Ricochet is Ricochet. 
you know, he's going to be super athletic, fun to watch. Uh, he'll come. Please don't come out in another superhero costume. Please, somebody. I don't know if I, I, this is going to get up. I guess this, this will get posted before uh, it would have to be the Super Showdown. Someone in the know, get this message to Ricochet. Stop cosplaying as a superhero. Enough already. All of you. Ugh. Uh, get some adult gear, you geek. Hey, I'm starting to talk like you guys now. Um, I swear to God, I wasn't using the word geek before this. Brock Lesnar, Ricochet, has the potential of being really, really fun. Uh, I think it has now uh, the possibility of being an outstanding main event because you're right, Brock likes the the psychology of his matches where he likes to be the big monster and he wants these small smaller baby faces who are fighting from underneath and you know he gives them just enough to get you know to give the hope spots and get the crowd really into it like oh my god they might actually nope he's dead and that's brock and that's fine um and brock does really really well with those when he wants to so hopefully that's what we get here because if it's another i don't want to be here dean ambrose situation ugh, this is going to be trash I agree, and I, I, I hope we get, like I said, I hope we get, and it's the big if, I hope we get Brock wanting to work a little bit, because it's, again, I don't need like a 30-minute match, man, but just give me 12 to 15, a ricochet flying around, getting some fun hope spots, Brock eventually kills him with all of his shit, and just give me a fun match, because I think it'd be really good, and like, I love like the Balor, AJ, and Brian matches, he had great matches with all those guys. And it's just, like, it shows you, like, I, I get down on Brock from time to time, but, like, I also really like Brock because he can do really good stuff when he wants to. And that's, like, kind of all I'm asking here. But, like, I don't know, man. If Brock walks out first on this one, we're getting, like, three minutes and Ricochet <laughs> is dead. Yeah. More dead than he would be in a longer match. Just dead. Rick. So. Ricochet is going to hit his pose, turn around, get suplexed, one, two, three. The music won't have even stopped playing yet. Yeah, then Brock will dance like New Jack in ECW. <laughs> well, hang on, Larry. Let's not go crazy here. If we get more dance in Brock, four stars. I will accept nothing less. There you go. So, um, yeah, I mean, I look at this card. Like, I'm, I'm not going to hide. I'm not a big fan of these Saudi shows. This does not look like a horrible card on paper. It really doesn't. A lot of it is going to come down to booking and if they're going to work above a house show level. Because a lot of the times that is the problem on these shows. It's not, you know, people like to get into big debates with me. But the biggest problem is, is like, this is a $50 million house show. Mm -hmm. They're guaranteed that money. And a lot of the time, these guys just go in there, collect their extra money, and they leave. And I don't necessarily blame them because I get what they're doing. But on the other hand, it's like there's never been a lot of great on these shows. I think the best matches on these shows, like the Mansoor and Cesaro match, I really liked that it was really good. I think maybe it was like the first Saudi show, even though it was kind of a house show, play the hits match. John Cena and Triple H actually had a really good match. But then you just get a lot of like, at best, two-star specials and questionable booking and... The crowd is into some things, they're not into other things. And But I look at this card and there's a lot of talent on it. And again, it all comes down to who wants to work hard and how they want to book it. If it's just going to be Ricochet dying in three minutes, I mean, that's fine because it's Brock and he's going to Mania to face Drew. I mean, obviously Brock's going to win. 
But then again, it's also kind of a negative because we're losing what could could potentially be a really good match. You know, like, New Day matches are normally really good. They work hard on pay-per-view and these specials. Miz and Morrison, we'll see how much uh, they've been working together here a little bit now since coming back together. Hopefully they'll be gelling again together really well. That could be good. Um, the um, the Raw Tag title match has a ton of potential, as we talked about, because Street Profits are tremendously fun. Seth and Buddy are really good, and it's just like, let those dudes... It doesn't have to, Again, I'm not asking for 30-minute classics. Give them 12 to 15 minutes to work a fun balls-to-the-wall sprint. It'll fit all their styles. It'll be a lot of fun. So, I mean, I look at it. I don't hate this card. Don't hate it at all. Think it has potential, but again, it comes down to effort and booking, so... We'll see what we get Thursday, Mark. I, I completely agree with you. I've called these glorified house shows, and that's what they are for a while now. But this one, if you'll notice, it wasn't a February main roster show. Went, the Royal Rumble was the 26th, and then this one's the 27th. For all uh, intents and purposes, this is their February pay-per-view. And it got booked that way. So instead of a slapdash thrown-together bunch of matches to satisfy the Saudi crowd, they actually booked to this show. You know, and the next one I think is Elimination Chamber, uh, which March is... March 8th. Yes, sir. M- March 8th. And so, you know, the my problem with the WWE has been the, like too many crunched together shows. They're like within like a week of each other sometimes. This feels spaced out, and this, and so instead of it feeling like a Saudi show, this feels like the February show. This is their, uh, oh gosh, what was the one they used to do in February? Like back back in the Attitude Era, there was the February show between the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania, and it was it was always like that that bump in the road to get to WrestleMania show, like No Way Out, I think it was. Um, this feels like No Way Out. They're just doing No Way Out in Saudi Arabia, which I like. Um, I, I would prefer that than who wants to go to Saudi Arabia. Great. Pick a partner. That's who you're wrestling, which is how these other. And then at the top, what nostalgia act is lying around that wants to get a quick payday? Cause that's how these shows have felt in the past. And, uh, and I didn't watch a lot of them for that reason. I didn't watch the DX one. I only watched the Goldberg undertaker one for the Scheidenfraud. I, I heard that they almost killed each other and I'm like, well, that sounds like fun. And I went and I watched that match only. Um, I watched the the Kane and Tyson Fury one because it was Kane and Tyson. But I actually watched that whole show. So this one I'm actually legitimately excited for. I'm legitimately excited for Brock and Ricochet, Fiend and Goldberg. Uh, I think there's there's the potential to have some solid matches on here. And that by the end of it, I won't have to go walk into the woods to live deliberately like I usually do at the end of a WWE show. Fair enough. Are you surprised that... um? I mean, I guess because Taker's working Mania, maybe not so much him. Are you surprised? No Triple H and uh, Undertaker again. I don't know if I'm not as surprised so much as I am grateful. <laughs> Just think, stay the fuck home, please. Yeah, because it doesn't feel like we're getting the Triple H WrestleMania match because normally they've started to build for that already. Good. No, I mean I'm not complaining. I'm just saying it. It um maybe he's finally resigned to the fact that I should be the office dude running NXT. You know, I whatever ne- whatever he needs to make him feel happy and complete and satisfied with life, and if that is the adulation he gets from the from his NXT children, then that makes me happy for him. 
because because him seeking all of those things in one last epic match in the ring. Oh, just shoot me now. Both yeah. my knees and my head. Mania is already going to be like 13 hours this year. I don't need the Triple H uh, epic um, shoehorned in. <laughs> yes, and in his cosplay outfits where he's playing Conan. By the way, him versus Sting, that entrance is still my favorite ridiculous over-the-top Triple H entrance of all time. And nothing's ever going to be better than that, so please stop trying. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of done with him in anything. I, I was done with him in Miami. My God, him and Triple H and Sean took a final bow. My wife was sitting next to me. We went and saw that one live. I'm like crying at the end. I'm like, oh, it's the end of an era. And then these bastards, they won't go away. So uh, I know we're getting The Undertaker's yearly appearance at WrestleMania. It's fine. Um, my kids will be there with me. It'll be the first time they see The Undertaker live. So that'll be a kind of a fun thing, like a reason for me not to hate it. But... I the sooner we get to Triple H and Undertaker and some of these older guys deciding never again, the happier I'll be. I, I couldn't agree more. So yeah, it's a uh, that is the WWE Super Showdown preview. It takes place on the twenty seventh on uh, Thursday, twelve in the afternoon. I will have full coverage, uh, live coverage on the site that day. And again, Mark and I will be back after AEW Revolution on the 29th, and we'll talk about the Saudi show as well as AEW. Mark, thank you for uh, popping on. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Um, Can't wait to talk to you again to review those two shows. Do you want to show anything before you go? Yes, please. Uh, we are full. The Rattledge and Broadcasting Network podcast is fully integrated now with W with the W2M Network. You can find all of our shows at W2Mnet.com. You can also on any of your podcast apps put in W2M Network, and you will find all of our shows plus all of the other W2M shows all together in one stream. Um, we do our own wrestling reviews. We review heavy metal albums, all the latest movies. We just did Sonic the Hedgehog, um, TV shows. We've got reviews for, uh, old and new. So next week we've got lock and key coming up the comic and the, and the show last week we did the birds of prey movie. We did a, uh, one of the comic books and we did the terrible 2002 show. So all of all of that's in our feeds. We also do boxing coverage. Uh, we just put up our preview of Wilder versus Fury Two as myself, Pat Mullen, and John War of Boxing and Brews. And tonight we'll be doing a live watch along, which will be up shortly after the fight is finished. So you can check that out if you're uh, if you like your wrestling but you love your boxing. We cover all the big boxing events. That are on every weekend. So Larry's over there doing wrestling. I got the boxing covered. Robert Winfrey's got the MMA. Really, where else do you need to go, right? Fair enough. That's right. So, uh, again, thank you, Mark. It was good talking to you. And I'll be talking to you this weekend. And uh, that is going to finish us up for segment two of the show. And Steve Cook will be joining me in a moment. All right. Welcome back to the final segment of the show. And I am now joined by Steve Cook. Steve, how are you? Oh, hey, hey, hey. Doing wonderful, sir. Good. Uh, so if uh, you've been listening, we uh, Ian Hamilton and I did a deep dive on NXT UK. Mark Radlich and I previewed WWE Super Showdown. And now Steve and I are going to go a little old school. We've had some uh, retro requests. So today we are going to go back to 2009, Steve. 
TNA Lockdown 2009 from Philadelphia. Lockdown, which, uh, you know, Larry, a couple years later when Cincinnati, when Cincinnati hosted Lockdown, I believe it was 2011, I want to say. That was the one I went to. Yes. Yes, sir. I'm not asking to watch that again, by the way. I'm not. Okay. <laughs> I think once was enough for me on that particular one until, until we can watch, watch it free. But, uh, yeah, so uh, Lockdown was an interesting concept, as we all know. I believe it is uh, now, I don't know if this is a shoot or not, but uh, it was it was said that there was this, the brain, the uh, Lockdown pay-per-view being an all-cage pay-per-view was the brainchild of the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. That's right. Now, now, is I that official believe- or is that just, a, is that the gimmick? I do believe that was the fact. I believe Dusty was a big proponent of trying this and... They ended up doing it, and they're actually um they're doing an Impact Plus special at the end of the month. They're bringing back Lockdown in uh, March. They're bringing everything back, aren't they? Yeah, they're like TNA. Like, they bring back Lockdown. There's you know Sacrifice like is uh, Saturday night uh, later tonight as yeah. we're recording, and uh yeah, I mean they might as well use the names if you own them. Sure. So when was the last Lockdown they had? Do you remember? Uh, I don't remember the last official Lockdown pay per view, but they did use. Um, the lethal lockdown match here and there on impact yeah. is uh, like blow offs sure. and stuff. So yeah, makes sense. But yes, we have the um, lockdown pay per view from Philadelphia. It was at the Lacour Center. Attendance uh, uh, reportedly, according to the cage match, forty five hundred people. Yeah, that was Lacour Center uh, has become a venue for all Elite Wrestling's Dynamite program. That's right. Like they're, they're going back there pretty soon, right? I believe so. So, Steve, we start off the show with the X-Division Elimination X-Gate match with an X, no E, uh, which saw Champion Suicide, Sheik Abdul-Bashir, Consequences Creed, Jay Lethal, and Kiyoshi. Uh, Sheik Abdul-Bashir is uh, Sean Devari. Consequences Creed, obviously, Xavier Woods, Jay Lethal is Jay Lethal, and Kiyoshi uh, was one of the Japanese imports, and he played Suicide for a short period as well. He did not play suicide in this match, obviously. Although if he did, it was pretty fucking amazing. It really would have been. Uh, now, was it uh, would have been Frankie Kazarian at this point? Yes. Yes, I believe so, because Daniels is doing something else. But uh, And I know Sheik Abdul-Bashir, of course. Uh, Davari, the uh, older brother of one of your personal favorite wrestlers nowadays, right? Area Davari? Uh, sure, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'll give him credit. Davari was in a really good match last night with uh, teaming with Kendrick versus Andy Lorcan and Danny Burch in a new DQ match on 205 Live. Well, so, I'd hope so with those three guys. Yeah. I mean, so, come on now. But uh, I got to tell you, Larry, uh, not a fan of the escape match. I'm not going to lie. I'm not a fan of the gimmick, really. It's You know how I feel about cage matches where you need to escape anyway. I always yes. thought that was lame. And you got a multi-man. You got five people in here. I don't know why you have five people. That's a weird number to have. Five. You got uh, two kind of tag teams here. You got uh, Suicide. And it wasn't it wasn't a bad match. I'm not saying as bad by any stretch. Like the the guys in the match did did some interesting stuff. Um, they I don't know if it was much of a story, but they did some interesting stuff. And uh, yeah, it was it was just a it was a you know one of those high flying matches you like to have to open a show. But I thought the stipulation was kind of whack. It was. I mean, uh, I will say this: you know, a suicide retained a title in the match. Um, the finish, you know, it is escape rules. The finish saw suicide climb the cage, fight off Kiyoshi, and then dive onto a pile of security geeks to win. 
Um, it was a good finish, but um, it was during this time that where we were getting a lot of worthless multiple man clusterfuck style X division matches, and um, just I mean, obviously you didn't have Joe Daniels and AJ involved like you did back in the day a little bit, and. I understand that, but you were just getting all these clusterfuck matches, and it was really doing the division no good. The belt didn't feel important. The match was okay. I didn't hate it, but I'm with you. I'm not a big fan of the Escape to Cage match, and um, it just kind of existed. Like, I didn't hate it. I didn't really like it. It was like, at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, cool finish. Thank you. We're done. And speaking of that cool finish, which, uh, you know, it goes to show the point I was going to make about it is that... I completely forgot about the finish up until like five seconds ago. When I when I when I watched the show, I thought, "Oh, that's pretty cool, nice little spot." The guy dives off the top of the cage onto the floor, and all those guys. But it just goes to show you at this point, you can even when you're doing crazy stuff like that, it doesn't mean anything. Like we yeah. saw on Wednesday night with uh, Cody doing the moonsault off top of the cage, that that meant a hell of a lot more than this. Exactly, it did. Um, we moved on next, Steve, to the Queen of the Cage match. And uh, this saw ODB, Daphne, Madison Rain, and Sojo Bolt. And uh, ODB won this match. Um, you know, ODB, out of this match at the time, um, I, it's going to sound like faint praise, was the best worker of this fo- of these four. Daphne wasn't really a good professional wrestler, but had a ton of charisma. Madison Rain was still really young in her career and hadn't gotten any good. And I never thought Sojo Bolt was any good and thought this was kind of a bad match, dude. Just did not enjoy it. No, it it, it was not particularly, uh, particularly memorable in any way, shape, or form. And the, the thing I kind of thought of when I, when, while watching this match is it's very reminiscent of a lot of, a lot of cards... A lot of matches you'd see back in this particular time frame pro wrestling where, you know, you remember our like ROH shows and a lot of indie shows. There were so many multi-man matches on every freaking show. Like, you know, you'd have the four-corner survival. You'd have the six-pack match. You'd have this match. That match is, you know, just a bunch of multi-man stuff and it all kind of flowed together. And you didn't really remember any of it at the end of the day. And... This was just basically here. I, I assume it's here to put ODB over because she was getting over his character at this point. And uh, Daphne and Madison had a thing going with the beautiful people. And uh, I, I never hated Sojo Bolt. She was, she was there. She was decent enough at, at times, but uh, never really going to be a top star or nothing. So definitely it pit me in a match that was just kind of there. I didn't, didn't love it, didn't despise it or anything, but... Uh, I don't think it accompli- I don't think it accomplished much of anything either, unless uh, I missed ODB's run as the, like the Queen of the Cage match and defending her to Queen of the Cage match title against people, which would mean something. Unfortunately, that did not happen. You know, you can you know how like they have the King of the Death match title. You can have the Queen of the Cage match title. There you go. So next up, we had our first uh, or second title match of the evening. The IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Titles were on the line. This match involved the champions, who were at the time the Motor City Machine Guns. Facing yeah. off with No Limit, and for those of you younger listeners that don't know who No Limit are, No Limit is none other than Yujiro Takahashi, and your current and defending IWGP and Intercontinental Champion Tetsuya Naito, back in his junior heavyweight days, and uh, they're facing off with the Latin American Exchange LAX, which was Homicide, sure I can buy as a junior, and 
Hernandez, and apparently they were a trio of juniors because Hernandez was a fucking house at this point. I don't know what universe Hernandez would have ever been a junior heavyweight in. Uh, when he was like six, <laughs> maybe if that. No, that was that was ridiculous. I don't. I'm sure I don't know how New Japan felt about that one. It was a weird match to say the least. Just looking at it. Um, the good news was uh, Motor City Machine Guns were a great tag team. No Limit was really good at the time. Latin American, Latin American Exchange really good at the time. Champions retain uh, just under 12 minutes, Steve. And uh, I thought this was a good little match. I enjoyed it. Thought it had a lot of good action. No real complaints. And I liked the story throughout of um, Chris Saban is essentially trying to be the giant killer against Hernandez. And it constantly fails until, obviously, him and Shelly are smart enough to work together, start taking everybody out. And, um, you know, the guns, just superior teamwork in the end. So, um, really enjoyed that. Um, good match. Uh, Machine Guns, always a great tag team to go back and watch. And, uh, again, just really weird watching LAX, this incarnation of LAX in a junior heavyweight tag title match because of Hernandez. Yeah, definitely a lot of interesting stuff going on. You know how I love Alex Shelley, and I was always a big Machine Gun fan. And it's interesting to see uh, Naito here at this spot. And you have to give TNA credit at least for booking him better than they booked Okada. So, I mean, No Limit did a lot better than Okada did in, in TNA. Um, Hernandez's spot in this match was pretty weird. But uh, it was a good little match. But I would say that this kind of, to me, is the epitome of the match that would have been better without a steel cage. Definitely. I mean, if these, you know, if Shelly and Saban were allowed to fly around, if Naito and Yuji were allowed to fly around, well, hell, if Homicide was able to do his dive, and you know, Hernandez is a bit of a flyer himself. So this is definitely a match that uh, not only didn't need a cage, because I don't think they, it didn't even play into the match that much. It would have been like 10 times better without it. It really would have, because it's like, I, I watched this match back, and I, I all I could think of, and I, cause I completely agree with you, is this was like a three or so star match. It was a good match. You take the cage away and you take the handcuffs away with it, and like they do roughly the same match and throw in a little flash and dive. You know they're probably bordering on a four star match because it's just like like you said it felt really restricted. They didn't use the cage all that well, so it's like again the the drawback to the lockdown pay per view. It's an interesting concept and people like cage matches, and then like you add a bunch of weird stipulations like in this next match. And then it's like, a match like this, it's like, why? Did not need it at all. No, no it didn't. But uh, I, I would say probably a headier days for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championship that we've seen in quite a while. There you go. <laughs> so, um... No, you love those uh, New Japan Tag Team Divisions. Oh, yeah. At least I, so I watched a uh, great uh, tag title match this past week, though. It was uh, Rapongi 3K defending against Rocky Romero and Taguchi. They had a great match. So and um, sound good. yeah and uh, oh the the uh, the banger of the week though was fucking uh, Ishii and Shingo. Ooh. Oh, so good. That's it. Haas is beating the shit out of each other. So good. Always and, good. Speaking and, of Haas is beating the shit out of each other. Well, kind of. Yeah. The Doomsday Chamber of Blood match featuring Matt Morgan and Abyss, and the gimmick here was in order to get a pin or submission, you had to bust your opponent open and make them bleed first. Blood and guts. That's right. Tawdry, Steve. Not <laughs> good right. shit. That's right. This is one of those matches that, in theory, in 2009, you think probably would have been a really good match because 
Abyss thrives in these kind of matches, and obviously Abyss was, before he got broken down, Abyss was really good and one of the better big men in wrestling. And Matt Morgan was a dude with a ton of potential and a good look. Jim Cornette thought he was a future WrestleMania main eventer. And then Kurt Angle, that son of a bitch, did it again. He fooled everybody and had like one great match with Matt Morgan. (laughs) And everybody was in on the Matt Morgan train, brother, because he did it with Ken Anderson. He did it with Matt Morgan. Christ, when he was in WWE at the time, remember, he worked matches with Tatanka and Marty Jannetty and got them fucking signed. Well, these guys can still go. Jesus Christ, look at this. We need to sign them up. And everybody's forgetting they're, they're working with Kurt Angle. Funny how it works. So Doomsday Chamber of Blood match, and I I don't know. It's just it was a match. I mean, Abyss. Um, he obviously he, he tapped an artery. Oh yeah. Um, of he course. Do that. Of course, he did that uh, via blade while Matt Morgan was like fucking eating lunch. <laughs> after he like kicked a chair into his face, he was just fucking walking around and doing nothing, and it's like. I don't know. They made like a lot of weird decisions during the match. Like they were trying too hard to uh, like make the crowd really care. Like I know it sounds weird, but they were doing these weird things throughout the match. It just, it never really worked for me. Um, I didn't hate it. I didn't think it was bad. They worked hard. Abyss tried, but um, it was okay. It is just, I think a lot of it was just kind of the weird booking and stipulation. Like, Yay, it's a cage. Yay, we got blood. And then it was like, and then it like just was there. Yeah, I mean, it was there and it was fine, you know, for me, for the most part. I mean, it was a kind of your run of the mill standard abyss blood kind of match. You did a lot of these back around this time and it wasn't terrible or nothing up until the finish. When we saw the appearance of abyss's uh, psychologist at at the time. Dr. Stevie. Yes, Dr. Stevie. And we found out, wasn't believe it or not, I mean, I know everybody was surprised and shocked and just, uh, you know, couldn't believe that Dr. Stevie wound up being Stevie Richards. It was just one of the biggest surprises in TNA history, I would say. What? I know, right? Are you serious? <laughs> you, you had the segments with the Abyss talking, and, and Dr. Stevie was off the screen the whole time, and you could obviously tell his Stevie Richards voice, but I guess we weren't supposed to think it was actually Stevie Richards because Tanae and Wes were kind of selling it like a surprise. But maybe they didn't watch the segments. Who the hell knows? But <laughs> remember, everybody. No, so Stevie comes out and oh yeah, he he doesn't want the best to use the chair because he's trying again not to use weapons for reasons, and uh, he basically ends up helping Morgan win, and it kind of falls flat. To be honest with him, like nobody really cared. Yeah, it, it was a match. And when it's an ECW guy in Philadelphia and nobody really cares, that kind of tells you something. Unfortunately, this is a correct take, Steve. So next but up, Stevie Richards, though. So, I can, yeah. you know, let's be honest. On the, on the rung of ECW guys, Richards is pretty far down the list. Uh, judging by the reaction he got, I think J.T. Smith would have been more over than him at this stage. I would have preferred to J.T. Smith. I would have been, that would have been surprised. Doc, old Dr. J.T. I don't know. So we went on to another title match, Steve, obviously inside the steel cage, the knockouts title match, Angelina love defeating champion, awesome Kong and Taylor wild at a smidge under seven minutes. Um, this match wasn't bad at all. Um, they were transitioning to belt to Angelina love cause it kind of felt like 
We gave Kong a run, but I guess it kind of felt at the time like they wanted to have a pretty girls champion like WWE did. Probably. And um, But the thing that hurt this match is Angelina Love got hurt during this match. Uh, kind of messed up the finish a bit. Um, yeah, that's she, she looked really good early in the match. Um, and, like, she was countering Kong's big stuff. And, you know, this was back when Angel- everybody thought, like, Angelina Love was going to be really good. Yep. And um, it's just, you know, and Taylor Wilde was a really good baby face and everything. And, um, yeah, it just, um, it just felt really bad. It's like Angelina got, like, kind of knocked down. They improvised the, fi- the finish. And um, Kong ended up kicking Taylor Wilde into getting pinned. And, like, it was okay. Obviously, it was hurt by the injury thing. And, um, I mean, thankfully, it didn't go longer. But it felt like a match that if it there wasn't an injury. It felt also like a match needed a little more time. But unfortunately, again, we couldn't get that because Angelina Love got the shit knocked out of her and, you know, was um, pretty sure she was concussed there. Yeah. And another one of those matches that would have been better without a cage, although they did at least use the cage in this one to uh, tie Kong's braids into the uh, the cage door there, which I thought was a, a unique, clever kind of thing to do, keep her, out of the, keep her out of action and keep her indisposed for the eventual finish, which could have been better and uh yeah angelina at this point we uh, she did have a lot of potential she never quite got to the level we thought she could although she i think she held the knockout style like what uh, five six seven times or something yeah like five so they kept going that well (laughs) they definitely uh saw her as one of their top stars and the beautiful people is always a pretty over act but uh never quite reached that potential and unfortunately somebody else who didn't quite reach the potential we thought she, she could have had was taylor wilde who I thought was a top-notch babyface back in the day, had the look, had the wrestling ability, had had pretty much most of what you could ask for. But uh, unfortunately, she never quite uh, got going to that next level. And sadly, I think most people these days remind, remember her for working at Sunglass Hut while she was Knockouts champion. Unfortunately. Although, Steve, I think she may be returning for that TNA uh, reunion show here over Mania oh. Weekend because she's back on Twitter. Oh, wow. And then uh, posted something like, um, you never know what's going to happen. Well, I, and that's like, something I'd be interested to see. Yeah, and a bunch of the knockouts, like Jordan Grace and them were like retweeting it, and Gail Kim was all happy about it. So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing her pop up work the show. I mean, yeah. yeah and see if she's got anything left. I mean, who knows? I mean, I don't know how old she is off the top of my head, but I assume she might still have some time to do something. Exactly. So... Uh, we had another title match next, and this was for two titles. This was for the TNA yeah. World Tag Team titles held by Beer Money and the IWGP Tag Team Championships held by Team 3D, and it was a Philly street fight in a cage. Yeah. <laughs> so I will say, though, I did... Uh, the the one thing I really did enjoy about this match, which I thought was a perfectly fine match, but it, it's it's... Patently ridiculous to have a Philadelphia street fight on an all steel cage pay per view, but at the same time, at least it gave to, it gave an excuse to get outside the cage and kind of freshen things up that way by having 3D and Beer Money go through the crowd and just you know it's kind of your typical hardcore, almost kind of slash uh, you know attitude era main event style wrestling where you're they just go into the crowd and brawl around for a while then eventually returns to the ring but uh it was a nice change of pace i thought from what we've been seeing so far yeah i thought this was a really good match i thought it was one of the better matches on the show overall 
Uh, a lot of good spots. I thought they did a good job of uh, kind of recreating that EC- ECW feel to it, obviously with the Dudleys in Philly. Um, and that's not always easy to do. Um, I thought the finish the finish was fine, where Storm accidentally hits the uh, cage door into Rude's face. He eats 3D. And that was fine. I was... With the with the two titles on the line, I was kind of maybe hoping like a grander finish. Maybe kind of felt a little flat, um, but not bad. I mean, I really did like the match though. And um, the good thing at this time were the Dudleys were really smart and they worked within the confines of what they knew how to do, and they could still put on a really good match. And again, I thought this one was one of the better matches of the night. I did enjoy it. Um, like I said, kind of flat finish aside, but I thought it was really good. One of the best things on the show. And we all remember what great tag team beer money was back in its time. And I thought they, even if they came up short here, they looked uh, perfectly good in this match. I, you know, Team D- 3D didn't, uh, they, they've eaten guys up before from time to time. They didn't do that here. Agreed. Uh, next up was the Lethal Lockdown Cage match, which is War Games with One Cage. And this was uh, Team Jarrett, AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, Jeff Jarrett, Samoa Joe versus Team Angle, which was uh, Booker T, Kevin Nash, Kurt Angle, and Scott Steiner. This was also uh, pretty much known as the Main Event Mafia. Yeah, Main Event Mafia versus Frontline. The Frontline. Yeah. Oh God, what a lame, uh, what a just, <laughs> just a lame thing in general. Am I right? Yeah. Oh, Frontline business. Yeah. This so. Is not um, great. It did. Um, it went uh, 23 minutes, and uh, the babyface team of Team Jarrett won, and they were doing the. Um, basically, the whole story was that Jarrett had returned, and they were teasing the old Nikita Koloff War Games gimmick with him. Mm. Can they trust Jeff Jarrett? Yeah, you know, and that because that was the whole thing because he had screwed everybody over in the past, including all three of his teammates here. And Jeff Jarrett gets in there, and everybody thinks he's going to turn, but it's actually a non-swerve swerve where he starts grabbing guitars, tosses them to his teammates, and they run wild. So the baby faces get the big win here. And then you got um got AJ doing shit like diving through the top of the fucking cage. Where yeah, that's pretty stupid. I don't think he even hit anybody. I was supposed to say, like, nobody <laughs> fucking caught him, which had to suck. Um... <laughs> So it's like, uh, but no, it's um, it's a good match. I enjoyed it. Uh, one of the better things on the show. And the um, the problem with this is that like, when TNA and Impact do the lockdown match, the problem is is that everybody knows that the money is in the end of the match because yep. the match doesn't start until everybody's in. And then they back in the day they had the gimmick where they closed the roof on the cage and had all the weapons and shit. And you know it's. Basically, nobody really would start caring until that happened. So you had, like, I don't know, 15 minutes of people kind of tepidly reacting. Yeah, and and you got to have some really good action to keep the people interested uh, throughout all that stuff. And let's be honest, uh, most of the talent in this match was on one team. It was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, uh, Angle was still good for Maven Mafia, of course, but I mean, AJ Daniels and Joe are all on the same team. So, and you know, and Jarrett was Jarrett wasn't bad either. He wanted to know slouch, and I thought Jarrett's story was good because, as you said, for the past, you know, for the first seven years of TNA, Jeff Jarrett was like the biggest asshole of all time, pretty much. 
he screwed everybody. He he had those end that endless period of uh, matches where he just uh, did all sorts of crazy BS, and it would not have been surprising to see him turn against these guys here. But now he actually was a man of his word and stuck to it. And uh, now the timing on this. I am trying to remember. I'm, I'm going to say that this was before Jeff Jarrett hooked up with uh, Karen Angle. That would have been before, right? I believe so. Or it would have been, really been during, maybe? I don't really remember. It's so fucking mixed together with all the other shit. And it's it's also hard to remember because him, him and Kurt feuded a bunch and stuff. And, yeah. like, like, they feuded, like, before, during, and after it feels. So it's like, it all runs together, so. It really does. But it was a... F- Fun little match. Uh, I I enjoyed it. Um, you know, like you know, the 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 first part can be a little um little long, but once it got to the main part, it was perfectly fine. Although I still feel bad for poor AJ on that side. That was ridiculous. Oh Jesus! I don't, I don't know what he's thinking. I don't know what he's even thinking on that. Even trying that first of all, and uh, I, at least the guys were nice enough to take the bump. I suppose. Yeah, the- <laughs> he hits nobody, and they all they all fall down afterwards. So I guess. That was like some of the nice. that was some of like the worst shit in early TNA. Like they would do these cage matches and you would get these big spots. Like there was one, it was like I think it was like um like Chase Stevens or one of the uh the naturals. They were doing this like tag team cage match. And this motherfucker goes up to the top of the cage, busts out this beautiful like corkscrew moonsault. <laughs> and all you hear is yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and this fucker bounced like five uh, feet off the mat because nobody caught him, and I was like, "Oh my god, guys!" I guess it's made the. I guess the TNA lights were just easy to lose people in. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but it's like, God, guys, come on, you know, like catch a brother, do him a guess, solid. Yeah, it was weird, but uh, but then you you know, Team Jarrett wins the match, and they they celebrate for about five seconds. Before the lights go out, and I was hoping for Sabu because when you know if you're in Philadelphia and the lights go out, it's got to be Sabu, right? Yeah, it should have been, but no, we uh, uh, got some some kind of music. We weren't sure what kind of music it was, and eventually the the name Bobby Lashley pops up on the screen. We see Bobby Lashley, and he come, when he walks out and he points at everybody. Yes, this was the classic TNA debut of a former WWE guy at the time. Arrive on a pay-per-view, do nothing, point at somebody while everybody acts like they're afraid and leaves. Kurt Angle appeared happy, and everybody else was just kind of standing around like, huh? Uh. <laughs> uh, so I, I guess he teamed with, I guess he joined Man Event Mafia, I have no freaking idea. Or maybe uh, they teased it and he didn't. He might not. He might have done not a dumb damn thing. I don't, I don't know. He didn't do much. That first TNA run he had was like nothing, and it wasn't until he came back later on and like eventually won the world title and stuff that he was having a lot of good stuff. And then everybody forgets that he went back to WWE. Yeah, shame, a shame. But uh, yeah, and um, does it go without saying that nobody cared? Uh, I mean, I believe that's safe to say. So, yeah. our main event of the evening. TNA World Heavyweight Champion, The Stinger, versus Mick Foley. Now, Steve, I will give them credit in that they had built this matchup actually really well and made it feel like a big deal. And if you know your wrestling history, Bash at the Beach 1992, Sting and the Cactus Jack. 
was one of those matches that you go back in Foley's career, and you go back and you look at matches where he went above and beyond to help make somebody. And he did his best in that match to make Sting look like a million dollars in the ultimate baby face. Later in his career, you go his matches with Triple H, matches with The Rock, matches with Randy Orton, matches with Edge. I mean, fully like made a career out of this. And so it's obviously way later. And, oh, yeah, just that. and it came at a really weird time because Sting was clearly injured. He was having problems and he needed to drop the belt. And it really should have been the angle, but they never did it. Or anybody else, really. Yeah. So, <laughs> to be honest, it could have been anybody else. Foley's coming into this match not <laughs> wrestling regularly for the last 10 years. Okay, he had sporadic appearances, did some big matches. He could still go at times, but Mick was older and slower. And going in, there were like people that didn't really think Foley was going to win the title because everybody at the time thought that not only is he the lovable loser, but like the long-term booking plans all pointed to either Joe or AJ. Because Joe was on like a just a rampage of violence. AJ was rolling along, not, not destroying people like Joe, but he was rolling along, and it really felt like either of those guys were going to win the title, get to that next level, and finally become that homegrown star and big household name. And it didn't happen here. What we got instead was Essentially what this felt like, and I believe Arnold Furious might have used this back in the day because I remember reading his stuff. It felt like WCW spending a year building to Sting and Hogan, and obviously Sting won the title and stuff like that, but instead they did had uh, Hogan lose the title to Bob Backlund in 99. <laughs> a lovable comedy gentleman with his best years behind him, and that's kind of what uh, TNA did here tonight. On this show. So you had Mick Foley and you had Sting and they worked about 16 minutes. And I found it to be very hit and miss. I thought that both of them were smart enough early on. They were doing, there was some nice psychology to the match. And then it was one of those things to where it got largely ignored. And this main event compared to most of the rest of the card... Felt like molasses in July. <laughs> it was just... It was rough. Sting gets busted open with the bat. Mick Foley uses uh, Mr. Socko with the barbed wire. Uh, Foley totally forgot that his leg was being destroyed early in the match. And then he climbs out and wins. Yeah. Yeah, um... The reason a lot of us didn't think Mick Foley was going to go over in this match is because Mick Foley hadn't been a regular wrestler in 10 years. And he kind of already reached that point where it's like, do we really need to see another Mick Foley match? Probably not. I think we were all happier with him not being in the ring and doing uh, you know stuff like outside the ring. Like he's doing the executive shareholder gimmick at this point, I believe. And uh, he was tweaking things and... Uh, you know, just being an on-screen personality, and then they decided they needed him to wrestle. 
And he took on Sting in a rematch from uh, Beach Blast 92, which was, uh, you know, not only a match that's, you know, you, he, he definitely made Sting look like a world beater in that match. It was also a match that, of course, that put McFoley on the map. Put Cactus Jack on the map is somebody that people should really take seriously. And he eventually got his uh, initial WCW push out of that, and, uh, which led on to many, many other things. Um, as far as this individual match goes, I will just uh, tell you that um, I expected worse. <laughs> that's that, that's my uh, level of praise for the match is that I expected a lot worse going into this because, you know, Mick Foley's broken down and Sting uh, had his injury issues. So this felt like two guys that probably really shouldn't be in the ring at this point, whether with each other or with anybody else. But uh, I thought they put together a decent, decent enough match. That, like you said, they had the psychology and... You know, they forget it from time to time, but, uh, hell, that's, they're old. Old people forget things. You can kind of forgive them for that. And, uh, uh the finish, he had, uh, he had, uh, fully, it was the old, the old, uh, win the match by escaping the cage gimmick. And, uh, which was also, well, let's get back on this real quick. One thing that kind of bugged me was they, it was, I think it was pinfall submission or escape the cage, right? They include pinfall and submission. Yeah. But so, okay, so Foley at one point decides he's going to lock Sting in the Scorpion Deathlock, right? So he puts it on, and you got Earl checking on Sting. And I'm just waiting for, I'm waiting for Earl to ring the fucking bell. Because <laughs> he does that thing, this sort of thing, when that holds on. But uh, that didn't happen there. But then later, just a few minutes later, Sting goes ahead and puts Foley in the move. And uh, Earl Hebner's just like staying there and staring at him. It was like, really weird. I'm just like, check the dude. Hello. I mean, <laughs> I thought we had submissions counting here. Now, like Earl Hedner staring at him, like all of a sudden he decided submissions no longer count in this match. It's like, ah, you know, one of those weird decisions that, that happened in this match, I suppose. But uh, then he had to finish the course with them climbing out and uh, fully got the climbing started and Sting eventually almost caught him. But then uh, fully decides to take the flop to the floor around right his shoulder. I'm sure that felt good. Yeah, speaking of thudding on something, man. Ugh. Man, rough. <laughs> so, yeah, that was the main event with the title change to Mick Foley. And, uh, yeah, which led to a series of classic matches of which I remember none of. Yeah. And probably also didn't happen. Yeah, it's like, and God bless Mick Foley. We're not trying to be assholes. Steve and I love Mick Foley. We do. He, one of our favorites uh, back in the Attitude Era, man. Fantastic uh pro wrestler a big part of my a lot of my early fandom but by the time 2009 rolled around i was not interested i'm sorry yeah. not, not my cup of tea so that wraps it up steve uh out of 10 what do you think what would you give this show out of 10 hmm out of 10 let's see i'm probably gonna go a little bit higher than you might think i'm gonna go I'm thinking about 6.5 because I don't want to quite go to 7. Uh, it doesn't quite feel like a 7. It's uh, close to a 6. But, uh, you know, I thought the lethal lockdown, Philadelphia street fight really carried things. He had that uh, junior heavyweight tag team championship match, you know. So there's an, an very few things on the show were actively terrible. I mean, even the Foley Sting match was better than I was expecting. So I can't really hate on it too much. Some of the gimmicks... Some of the gimmick stipulations sucked, but uh, again, I can't really hold that against the workers. No, you really can't. It comes down to the bookers. Yeah, I'm a, 
I'm going to put a good 6.0 on this. I thought it was a perfectly solid show. Again, the matches you mentioned, the Lockdown Street Fight Junior Tag Title match, I thought they were all good to very good. Uh, Sting and Foley, it was one of those, there was a lot of okay on this show. The only thing I thought was, like, I think the worst thing on the show was that uh, the four-way women's match at ODB won. It was just, um, it was not really good. And then Angelina Love, or that was a later match, but... uh. The problem with the uh, the ODB match is, again, like I said, Daphne was, you know, God bless her, she had great charisma, wasn't a really good wrestler. Madison Rain hadn't developed into a good wrestler at that time yet. And uh, Sojo Bolt was, she wasn't horrible, but she was just there. Yeah, it's unfortunate because for a lot of TNA's existence, the knockouts division was one of the highlights. Yeah, when You go back to it with Awesome Kong, Gail Kim, and couple other stretches where they were usually one of the high points of the show. Unfortunately, I think the two lowest points in this particular show were the knockouts, which uh, kind of rare for TNA, really. Uh, yeah, back in the day, it really was. And uh, and obviously, the, the title match got hurt because Angelina Love got injured. So, again, not the not like the total fault of the, the workers in that match. I mean, accidents happen, and it is what it is. Yeah, I go about a 6.0. You want 6.5, and... um. The old cage match, which I had pulled up because I was looking at the uh, attendance figure and stuff. The over, the cumulative uh, cage match rating is uh, actually 7.32. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah. I mean, uh, so there you go. I mean, again, not a horrible show. Not a totally skippable show. It's interesting some of the choices they made. It's interesting to, to look back on and see, like, Naito work in this pay-per-view. And, um... Just, um, yeah, Hernandez in a junior heavyweight title match. Yeah. Yeah, I know about all that. I decided to look up Taylor Wilde on Wikipedia real quick, because why not? It uh, turns out that we were speculating earlier to... I don't know if I should drop ages on the show or not. Is that okay? If it's on Wikipedia, yeah. 34. Really? Yeah, Thirty-four, so not, not, I mean, nothing wrong with that. And uh, uh, she's been a prof- she's been a full-time professional firefighter since 2015. Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't think and she's she- married to a she's married to a firefighter as well, and they yeah. had a kid in April 2018. Yeah, I um, the reason I remember she had a kid too is it was rumored that she was going to be in the one May Young Classic. Oh, okay. And then uh, she, she got pregnant, so was coming off the pregnancy and stuff, so that didn't happen. But, yeah, she was rumored for the one May Young Classic. I didn't think she was over 35. So, yeah, 34, that, that, that makes sense. And um, So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if maybe she pops back up. But, yeah, it's a TNA Lockdown 2009. It's, a, again, an interesting show. It's kind of fun back to look on some of this stuff and to see uh, who was there, who's gone, and all that, and where everybody's gone off to. Again, like... You know, Naito was just a little junior tag dude back in the day, and you know, eleven yeah. years later, and he's the fucking king of New Japan right now. You know, you just goes to show you never know where the next star is going to come from. That's right, and you know, Yujiro didn't do bad for himself either. He has Peter. <laughs> he does. He does all right. He might not be the champion or anything, but he's he's done all right for himself. He's had that sweet bull club gig, gig for a while too, right? That's right. Yeah, long time. Getting that T-shirt money, man. Can't hate yeah. on that. He was the first Japanese member of Bullet Club. We turned on title. Chaos. How can you turn against those lovable Chaos scamps? 
Oh, pretty easy, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of story their faction, right? Everybody turns on them. But, uh, yeah, Steve and I, we're going to be mixing in these retro reviews from time to time, and we will gladly take requests. Uh, Obviously, try to keep it to uh, things that are free on the YouTube or obviously on the WWE Network as they're both the most easiest thing for us to get. Like, if you guys go through, like, the Impact slash TNA YouTube, if you find a full show on there and... It uh it interests you. I mean, throw it out there. We'll think about it. Uh, we have a couple things in mind for the next few, but um, again, we will always take suggestions because uh, why not? It is your show as well. You guys are the listeners, and uh, again, I th- I find it fun to look back on some of this stuff, Steve. I do as well, you know, and you know, and it's fun to look back in the history of companies like TNA, you know, because. I think we get a lot of flack from people sometimes because we don't give them enough love these days. But back in the day, they had some good stuff. And we were talking about that good stuff back then as well before the rest of y'all came along. Very much so. So, Steve, that is going to wrap us up for today. We'll be back Wednesday night to review AEW and NXT, probably talk some news and also preview AEW Revolution taking place on the 29th. So we'll have a loaded show on Wednesday night. And um, again, thank you for your time, Steve. Yeah, and I'm pretty excited. We got Pack and Kenny Omega coming up. That's right. That'll be good. But uh, yeah, my thanks to you. My thanks to Ian Hamilton from BackBodyDrop.com. My thanks to Mark Radlitz for joining me on today's show. This has been the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the 411mania.com website, any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to our show, share us around on social media, subscribe and leave us a thumbs up on the old YouTube channel. And until Wednesday night slash early Thursday morning, uh, this is Larry and Steve, and we will talk to you later.